Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob, 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 v, 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 Vila. And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. The show where grognards go to get their grog on. Between the two of us, we're going to get a lot of stuff done. We're going to kick some ass. We're going to be awesome. Featuring your hosts. Hi, this is Bill Barsh. I am the managing director of Paysetter Games and Simulations. Look at this. It's a plumber's nightmare. Hi, this is Edwin. I'm a longtime cast member of Skype of Cthulhu, and I am the 5E editor for Frog God Games. Somebody here call a carpenter? This is Lou Al Lou. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night, we get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. Hello, Dungeoneers. This is Lou Ao Lu. I'm here with uh, what I'm now just going to call my hosts, fellow hosts. Well, hello, this is Edwin. I'm very excited to be here this evening. Yeah, this is Bill. Looking forward to it. All right, and we've got a, a nice episode tonight. Uh, I was able to get a hold of a, a guy that really did me a huge solid when uh, when I was releasing my Dare Luck Club stuff. I, I feel like he's been a, 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 I don't know, a beacon of light on the horizon to all small publishers. Uh, we've got Ryan Howard with us. Hey everyone, thanks for uh, for having me on tonight. I am Ryan Howard, the creator and host of Rolling Bones with Ryan Howard, a weekly live RPG talk show over at twitch.tv slash Bones with Ryan Howard. Uh, basically every week I either have a guest on from somewhere in the RPG world or I'm talking about some game module... Uh, concept in RPGs and just spending about an hour and a half, sometimes two hours talking about that, talking with my guest and uh, learning a little bit more about the RPG world as it's so so big and filled with all kinds of great creative things. And that's really what I'm looking to do is just introduce myself and introduce other people to all the crazy things that are out there in this uh, strange but wonderful hobby of ours. All right, guys, how is everyone tonight? Uh, how have we been doing? What have we been doing in uh, gaming lately? Well, I had myself a pretty hot game of MCC not too long ago. <laughs> Thanks to you, Lou. That was excellent fun. I'm Man. I got to play with you. That was good. So uh, he, he's referring to the uh, the Crawl for the Cure, uh, of which he did all four camp or not campaigns, but uh, what do you call them? Uh, adventures, I guess. Shots or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, I you know I, I got on kind of early in the morning just to see how that's all set up and, and how the other game masters were going to be running things, and uh, I kind of popped back in throughout the day. Uh, it blew me away, man. I mean, like I I don't know how you can make it through. Uh, what is that like? over 12 hours of gaming <laughs> solid no stop you know geez Al, man you, you're a rock it was pretty fun i don't know it was i think with good games it's pretty easy good games and good players and you even ran one of them which is, is even more you know i mean that's three times the energy right there <laughs> but i did not stand up for it <laughs> oh 
Yeah, and uh, so for those of you that uh, helped out with that, I, man, I want to give a huge shout out to and a thanks to. Uh, they were able to raise uh, what was it, three thousand one hundred sixty dollars and twenty three cents for cancer uh, research, um, and. Uh, <laughs> And when you, I can't remember if you were still on when I said this or not, but we were trying to push it past 3,000, and uh, me and my excited uh, bourbon-filled state <laughs> threw out the offer <laughs> that anyone that pushed it past 3,000 uh, could have a guest spot with us here on the podcast. Uh, so sometime in, it'll be February, we're going to be joined by Jennifer and Mark Martin. Um, they're still deciding what we're going to be talking about, but uh, nice. I appreciate them getting us past that 3,000 mark. So That's awesome. Uh, Bill and Ryan, what have you guys been up to? Go ahead, Ryan. Uh, so gaming-wise, I'm in a little bit of a uh, not a not a slump, but kind of a space between games. I just wrapped up a spot on a Savage World stream uh, where we were playing Deadlands. So a little bit of Weird West gaming there, and then I'm trying to schedule nice. the fourth session of my Night Haven game uh, that we do on Rollin' Bones, and it's just been, you know, it's any more than, like, two people trying to work out schedules, as <laughs> as we found out, trying to put this together. It's always a recipe for some kind of craziness. Uh, so whenever uh, Prax and Rez and John and Joe are able to get back together, we will do more Night Haven. Uh, but as of right now, I, I haven't had anything regular uh, for probably about a month now. I think I've mentioned it before with these guys, but um, that concept uh, of what you're doing in that game, that terrifies me. There's nothing <laughs> more scary to me than a city campaign uh, as a game master. There's just so much you got to support there in my mind as far as NPCs and events and, and, and you know having just that city feel alive and, and vibrant, uh, man, kudos to you. And, and honestly, Lou, that's one thing I really hope that I can remedy with night Haven. Once it's ready for release, once I've actually got a book out there is to give people here is a city, but also here's a template for what a living city can look like so that even if you don't want to run Night Haven as I have it with all the stuff that I've thrown in there, you have an idea of these are the things that you need to make a city feel alive, to make it feel like there's stuff to do and that anything could happen around any corner. So, you know, honestly, that's that's what I love in city campaigns is that feeling of you can go anywhere and run into some kind of trouble and that'll set you down an adventure path. And so that's really Kind of my goal with Night Haven is to to give that feeling to uh, to GMs everywhere. We should uh, we should talk about city campaigns sometime. That would be a fun one. Yeah, that would be a great. And one. I have a I have a good idea for a guest on that one too. <laughs> talk about yeah. that later. All right, Bill, how's gaming well, been going for you lately? Well, I'm kind of in the same boat Ryan is. I'm kind of I'm not not involved in actual gaming as of now. It's end of the year, so. At Paysetter, we got a lot of stuff going on with end of year Kickstarter fulfillment and gearing up for next year uh, with a bunch of projects there. We got GaryCon coming up, and I'm playtesting uh, more Gamma X there, so I'm putzing around with that. And then um, even the tournament that we run at North Texas is, needs some attention. And in between that, actually, my, my, the closest thing to gaming I've been doing is I'm reading, uh, been reading John Peterson's new book, Game Wizards. So that's uh, that's kind of my uh, only connection to games as it were outside of working 
I don't Now I'm hearing nothing but thumbs up on that for, book. Uh, it is amazing. Yeah, I'm uh, John, summertime, uh, yeah, times. John's a camp. <laughs> a, he's a he's a camp miss. You know everything he puts out, it, it, you should buy it. Everyone should buy it. It's uh, <laughs> this stuff is great. Absolutely great. If you especially if you like the history of of you know the the gaming world. I mean, um, I I mean I actually lived through a lot of this. And I wasn't. I mean I wasn't a TSR obviously, but I was a Task Force Games back in the day, and you know you didn't. You really didn't hear what was going on at other game companies, so to, to read all this stuff that was going on at the same time is uh it's kind of crazy. It huh. really is. But uh, and TSR is just a you know a load of a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite a lot of players and a lot of a lot of circus oh rings there. Yeah, God, it's it's literally insane. It's it is uh, honestly if you I don't want to get too far off on a tangent on, but it is amazing that that company survived as long as it did. It just really is. Um, he's there's a one of the charts he has is their um, their gross sales chart versus their profit chart, and if you look at you watch their gross sales just steadily climb and climb and climb, right? But their actual profit margin pretty much stayed exactly the same for like hmm. a decade. It's crazy. It's just crazy. And they went from like you know a company making two or three million a year with a profit margin of you know million million and a half or something like that. They're up there making eighteen million a year and they're still at a million and a half on a profit margin. It's like <laughs> That's just there's you don't need to know any more about why TSR went <laughs> belly up than that. So yeah, I, I don't have a business degree, but yeah, I, I'd be scratching my head over that, you know. Yeah, and apparently they it, and they doubled down on it. It's just it's crazy. It's just absolutely. And then all the you know, all the other internal stuff with Gary and and you know all the rest of it. It's just uh, it's crazy. Well, not to put the cart before the horse, but uh, you know we're going to be talking about Dark Sun tonight. That was Ryan's pick, and I'm really excited to talk yes. about it. Um, but that really is kind of in the thick of things where you know the bolts started coming off the carriage, right? I mean, that's that's where the final final oh, death yeah, throws were. Early nineties, yeah. yeah. Well, late eighties, but early nineties. But I actually, uh, yeah. I mean, I can't wait to get into. First of all, Dark Sun to me is I'm it's it's on a pedestal for me as far as TSR campaign settings. It's brilliant. Um, it's so uh, underrated, I guess is the word I would use. People who know, know. It's one of those <laughs> deals, right? Oh, yeah. People who know, know, and there's some people who don't know. And uh, it's uh, – well, we'll get into all that yeah. later. I mean, I was I was so jacked to, to talk about Dark Sun. And I know we're going to talk about how it relates to – or how we can use it for DCC too, right? Is that the – Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's a really good fit there, obviously, so – all right, well, uh, Brian, if you don't mind, before we get into our next segment, uh, I, I know I've got some questions for you, and uh, you know, if, as always, guys, jump in as as you come up with stuff or as you know, we see a avenue to go down. Um, I'm going to start by stealing your question that you always ask your viewers, <laughs> and if you haven't listened uh, to Rolling Bones, uh, it, this is one of my favorite parts. Is uh, he's got that thing where he asks the same questions to every person he interviews, and it's fun to hear these answers. Uh, one of the questions is, uh, and you could be a sophomore or, or as philosophical <laughs> as you want. That's his phrase. Uh, if you could put anything on a T-shirt, what would it be? I was actually thinking about this earlier today. I, I've had a couple answers for this over the years. Um, and, and to give a, a kind of a brief backstory on that question, I actually borrowed it from my old co-host of – uh, a show I used to do called Digital Men, which was a Rush podcast. Uh, and my co-host, Brent Sello, he 
got to the point where we, we were doing interviews and he would just ask everyone if you could put anything on a t-shirt what would it be and some of the answers we got were uh, amazing <laughs> so I started using that when I started my show and it's it's become one of my favorite questions to ask people uh, but as far as what I would put on a t-shirt um, I've been thinking a lot about archetypes recently and how certain things why certain certain tropes in characters have stuck around this long like why is there always the uh the grizzled fighter and the grumpy wizard and all that stuff and what i've landed on is those things are around because they work so uh i think what i would put on a t-shirt would be archetypes are a strong foundation conversation starter for sure nice I like it. Yeah. I, I, you know, that whole that whole topic of tropes. Tropes are tropes for a reason because they're enduring, right? Mm. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a trope. They would just be garbage. So, I, I love that conversation. It's a great one to have about you know why things are tropes is because they do work time and time again, and you can modify things like that. I, I love that whole thing. That's a great idea for a t-shirt too. I, I, I think what you just said is a good t-shirt too. If it's not a trope, it's garbage. <laughs> I mean, that's so one to me. That's a conversation, and and Lou, I don't know if you were on for this, but I just uh, talked with Aaron the Pedantic about that very concept uh, on Monday. He and I were talking about how uh, he used to always come into RPGs wanting to play kind of the off kilter. Uh, breaking the mold type characters, and then he realized he was having a lot more fun if he started with a uh, a noticeable, uh, long-established archetype and then uh, kind of built on that foundation. And what I ultimately ended up saying to him was, whatever if you build something on a, uh, a funky foundation, it's just going to kind of lean over and not be a solid, firm mm -hmm. structure. So if you have a firm foundation of a character archetype then you can build upon it and what you build is going to be a lot more sturdy because it has that solid foundation yeah i i couldn't agree more 100 percent. well it allows so much uh so much shortcutting i mean if you're if you're saying you know i'm this but with this tweak then and you're done like you've explained it we know what you're doing we know how to work with you and we know sort of what to throw in your way and how to make it fun. Whereas if you're something that we're not used to, then we're starting from ground zero from how to make an interesting story work with that character or whatever it is with that storyline, with that setting. And I think, I think uh, actually we'll probably get into this a little bit as we get into uh, the, the Dark Sun DCC overlap is, is what is there that sort of, this is what we really understand and this is why these things are going to mix well. And, and I'm going to, I'm a, I'm a, I'm definitely one of the people who don't know, so I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm on the ignorant side of this one, so I'm really looking forward to hearing about it, but I've got some, got some questions, so it'll be fun. Yeah, a quick throw in on that, yeah, I think uh, the thing about having, you know, following the trope but having that one difference is all of a sudden that one difference is magnified, because it's like, I get it, I get it, oh wait, that's different versus this whole thing is different and I don't get it. You know what I mean? I don't get any of it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, and I think sometimes even the person who comes up with it doesn't get it. Right? <laughs> so yeah. it, it, the, the great thing about starting with, a, with an archetype and just in, in rolling with it and, and diverging, because you can take your archetype and you can go in a direction 
and then you know you spin off on, on on something else. Well, if it doesn't work, you have a place to go back to. You have a home yeah. that is solid, like you said. That foundation is always going to be there with your character. Arthur, I mean, you can kind of go back to it. So it's a it's a great way to hit and miss along the way, and because you can always go back, right? Versus if you start something just a lot more funky, going back may not be an option because mm-hmm. it, it probably didn't work to start with. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. I was thinking it, it's a, a concept that I've used for adventure design and writing of like let's take this so I have like one of the things I remember writing some years ago was this backwards dungeon crawl you know you start in the middle of the dungeon and you have to get out yeah, and uh, it's, it's it's just one little tweak. Right? The hidden shrine of uh, Tamakon was was supposed to be like that, but in my opinion, it kind of failed in that regards. But go ahead. So yeah, so you start with the big bad, and by the time you're barely escaping with your knife, you're killing kobolds, and you know, and <laughs> yeah. there's just but we all know what we're, what to expect. We all know where it's going, but it's a new experience because because it's just that one twist on uh, on something you're expecting. And it's also. Um... It also kind of leans on something familiar because there's a lot of great movies, especially, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, two movies that really come to mind that have that you're in the thick of things and you have to get out premise are The Warriors and mm. Escape from New York. Oh, wow. So and, and I, I've done a Warriors session in almost every single campaign that I've run just because I like that idea of you're all surrounded by people who want to kill you how are you going to get out of this now yeah yeah we had a uh we, we used to play a lot of champions right back in the day and one of one of the guys started a campaign and we started and his first words to us were you wake up naked in a bus stop <laughs> and that's how the campaign started and uh it's just it's just it works right but it, you know it's just a little twist on the on a normal thing but um of starting brand new, but um, pretty cool. So going to Rolling Bones, um, I mean, people listening to this podcast can't see, but obviously if they, they jump over and, and pick up your stream, they can. You're a young pup. I mean, I think you already told people on your show you're, you're mid-20s, I think, something like that, late 20s. Yeah, I I turned 26 last Wednesday. Wow. Happy <laughs> birthday. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday! And uh, I, I turned twenty-six. You're as old as my oldest Wednesday daughter. So there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a couple of decades off from that. Multiple decades. Uh, yeah, it was a few but, Wednesdays ago. But I mean, I'm, I'm looking looking at what you've done and, and, and what you do, and um, you know, you've put together this this great stream, and uh, you you've recently gotten a role playing games as far as you know compared to us, I think. Uh, and yet you've gone from, you know, uh, I think you said 5th edition was kind of your first delve into it. Yep. And, and you've gone backwards into all sorts of other things. I mean, like, for instance, tonight we're talking about Dark Sun, a 2nd edition product. Got to take us through, uh, you know, that that journey from getting into games to, to exploring some of these different games you've explored to deciding, you know, I want to do a podcast about it and I want to interview people in the industry and, and talk about things and, and develop my own setting and uh, you know, all these great ventures that you're getting into here. Yeah, so, I mean, I got into RPGs uh, kind of the traditional way. I was into a lot of other nerdy things. I was buying comic books. Uh, I used to play Warhammer 40K, and I'd go to this comic shop, and I saw, you know, Dungeons & Dragons stuff. Occasionally I'd see people playing D&D, 
And I always wondered about it, but I never actually tried it till I got in college. And right around that time, 5e had just come out. Uh, there were it was just the three main books when I started playing. And then Critical Role blew up. And the whole I, I was there right before the big 5e boom, uh, which we're now still in the middle of. And as all of that was happening, I was getting excited about role-playing games, and I learned how to Dungeon Master. And once I moved from North Carolina, where I lived my whole life, to Nashville after I got married, um, I really wanted to grow in my love of RPGs. I wanted to go back and explore the early stuff. I wanted to find out what other people were doing. I was aware of other system so i thought you know what if i did a podcast where i talked to people about role playing games so that i can expand my own background but also other people can hear about it and other people can hear Shane Hensley talk about how uh, he created Savage Worlds which was a very early episode that i did cuz fortunately i uh, had gotten to know Shane at a convention uh, what if I brought Hanker and Fernell on to talk about all the crazy stuff that he does with index cards and his kind of skewed OSR-ish view on role-playing? And then the guy who really pushed me over the edge, uh, kind of kind of my, my Morpheus, if you will, was actually Levi Combs. <laughs> when I spoke to Levi, I was just like, there's this weird strange crazy awesome world of rpg creators out there and i want to know what all of this is about and and rolling bones existed before levi came on the show but it didn't become rolling bones until after i had talked to him for the first time and then got hooked up with the guys at frog god skeeter uh casey christopherson and that's ultimately how i'm here because it was levi who convinced me to go to north texas rpg con where i met lou yeah, uh, man, Levi, I tell you, man, he, when it's all said and done, uh, there'll be a lot of people in this industry that'll be able to point back to him as as a source of energy and inspiration. I, I know for sure. I mean, I had written my books before meeting him, but but uh, when I met him there at North Texas a couple years back, uh, I was talking with him that really gave me the, yeah, I'm going to try this again. I'm going to get back into publishing and give it a run. So, yeah, that's awesome. I guess oh, no, else. I was just going to say, absolutely. Uh -huh. So... <laughs> You know, kissing and telling. Uh, who are some of your favorite interviews you've had so far, uh, and and who's somebody out there? You know, wh where's your your white whale that you know I really someday someday want to get that person on my program. So super early on, I had uh, Larry Elmore. I was very shocked that I was able to get him as early as I did, and uh, it was really cool to talk to him. Obviously, he has a bunch of great stories. Uh, it, it was interesting to to hear about early early role playing through the artist's perspective. Hmm. Uh, so that was a good one. Both of my Hanker and Fernell episodes are great, especially the second one, because he and I just kind of really dig into like the philosophy of RPG storytelling and why we do what we do, why certain things work better in RPGs, uh, or, or how RPGs should be run in a more episodic uh, format just because it's an easier way to keep everyone's attention. 
we had a great conversation about Dark Sun on that same episode, uh, so that's one that I really like. And then obviously, all my episodes with Levi, I've done, I believe I've done three at this point. Maybe just two, but I think I've done three. And he is, uh, you know, we, we could spend an entire podcast talking about how great Levi is. But <laughs> Sounds I, like he's kind of like your, your Alec Baldwin of the, the Rolling Bones podcast. You know, like he's yes. always on this and all or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. As far as my white whale, um, a guy that I've wanted to get on for a long time because I'm a fan of his work. He has impacted both this uh, game, Dark Sun, and then also Deadlands, which is another favorite of mine, Gerald Brom. I, I want to bring Brom on Rolling Bones. I reached out to him at one point, and he very politely declined. Uh, but I, I, I really want to get Brom on the show. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Transitioning from your experience on 5th edition to, to kind of moving back towards some of the old school games in I deals that uh, that you kind of, it seems to me, are, are really grasping onto nowadays. What was the pivot point? I played 5th edition for five years straight. And when you play the same system for that long, especially a system like 5e, you kind of feel like uh, Alexander the Great when he shed a tear because there was nothing else left to conquer. <laughs> Everything starts to feel the same at that point. You're just like, okay, I, I've seen what 5e can do. What else is there? And these old school games, I mean, people still play them for a reason. People people are still running uh, BX and 1e games at conventions to this day for a reason. So let's, let's see what all this is about. Let's see what this whole community around keeping this tradition of role-playing alive is all about. And what it comes down to is, without dunking on 5e too much, because I don't actually hate it, uh, it's, it's a fine system for what it is, 5e is a game about being superheroes. OSR games are about literally farmers picking up swords and how they uh, move forward beyond that. So it's it's the hero's journey in a book. And that's really what I love about these old school games is you're not immediately going to be able to take on even one orc. You're going to struggle and it's going to be weird and dangerous for a while. You're going to have to run away a lot. But eventually you're going to be some kind of world-beating badass. And at that point you can actually feel a little bit of a sense of accomplishment in what you've done. So I, I see somewhat of a theme also in, uh, you're talking about the, the Rush podcast. So I know you, you've mentioned that before uh, on your program that you know, you're a big Rush fan. Uh, mm-hmm. Are there other areas of, of your life where there are, you, you've kind of looked back and, and found treasures that are you know, hidden in the history of the medium that, you know, whatever it would be, comic books, uh, radio, uh, you know, whatever. Oh yeah, I'm. My my parents have always joked that I'm an old man in a young man's body. <laughs> so a, lo- a lot of my favorite bands are bands from the '70s, '80s, and '90s. Uh, a lot of my favorite movies and TV shows are from that same era. Uh, like my favorite movie of all time is probably Tombstone, 
which came out like two years before I was born. I just I love that movie so much. That is a good movie. But uh, you already dropped the Escape from New York thing, so you're good. Oh yeah. <laughs> we can skip the geek credit tonight. We're we're, we're checking. We're good. <laughs> but yeah, even like the you know '70s and '80s comics. There's a lot of great stuff from there. One of my favorite comics of all time is Frank Miller's Daredevil. Uh, That's great. Run, from yeah. 79, 80, 81, right in there. That's great stuff. Yeah, a lot of that, a lot of that good stuff is kind of from that era. And I, I don't have it. I don't have a thesis in mind of why so much great stuff came from that era. I have a couple touchstones that I think make that such a great creative uh, ground between like 1979 and 1985. <clears throat> but that's a whole like. Again, there's a whole podcast there about why so much great stuff came out of that specific pocket of time. But I love a lot of that stuff. I know that the same's probably true for most of it. I know that there's a lot of things that as a young man I discovered that were, you know, prior to my generation that, you know, I just, you know, like Creedence Clearwater Revival is one of my favorite bands and, you know, they were broke up long before I was around. Uh so you know, I think there is something that's just—it's neat to rediscover those things, and, and uh, you can kind of see how they inspired things that moved forward into our own generations. Bill, Edwin, did you guys have that experience, or? Well, yeah, but I was around when all that stuff was going on, so. <laughs> well, no, I mean like uh, you know, pr- no, prior I was, to yeah. No, I, I do. You know, I, like for instance, my the novels I read, I. I that I like reading the most is I don't like re- I don't really like a lot of contemporary stuff. I love Agatha Christie, mm-hmm. um, Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, that's my kind of you know Robert. I mean obviously the Robert Howard and Lovecraft stuff, but you know I mean like I said I, I can read Agatha Christie all day long. I think she's one of the best writers there ever was. This cat's gonna go crazy here, but <laughs> um, so yeah I think that's it for me. It's the same kind of thing. Um, you know I think. Uh, a lot of times it's funny how we attach to things that are pre-generational to us. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's interesting with Ryan. I mean, I, I kind of see the same thing with my son, Ben. I mean, he, a lot of music he listens to is older music. Same kind of deal, you know. Yeah. Uh, he's 24. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's fascinating. I was listening to my students the other day uh, before class. They were sitting there talking about Friends and Seinfeld, I think. <laughs> and uh, so these are two shows that probably ended before these guys were born and they're just right in the thick of it and loving it. And they're, I, it was just, it was so weird. Cause I mean, I didn't really watch them then, but you know, they were around definitely at the water cooler at the office, you know, that's what people were talking about. And it was just, it was, and I was realizing though, that it was the same thing for me when I was in school in college, you know, I'm sure talking about whatever, you know, the who or the Beatles or whatever. And I'm sure, my professors were looking at us and be like, oh, these kids, you know, taking our stuff from <laughs> So, yeah, I think that's probably a pretty common. I mean, you know, in some ways, uh, I think I feel like the real energy is trying to keep up, right, to figure out what's cool now that's that's been coming out, either gaming, music, whatever it is. And I think that's the no real clue. challenge is, huh? I have no clue. Exactly, <laughs> I'm right? I'm terrible at it. You're exactly right. I'm always about five years behind. There'll be something and I'll be like, ah, blah, blah, blah. and then five years later, I'm like, you know, that actually is pretty good stuff. <laughs> I should have been onto that yeah. when it was out. It's funny. I'm well, terrible. I feel like... I mean, they'll have like modern day celebrities like on, I don't know, let's, let's say Wheel of Fortune or something like that. I don't know who any of these people are, <laughs> right? I mean, my kids, they'll look at me like, well, that's so-and-so, you know, like they're like, 
you know, Ronald Reagan or something. I'm like, I have no idea who this person is. No, not even a. It, it is true. It's very true, Edwin. What you're saying, absolutely. Well, I feel like you know, I feel like you know, in gaming, I feel like I sort of have to keep up a little bit, you know, to sort of know what's mm-hmm. what's hip, even even if it's what's hip with the OSR, you know, what's new and what's happening, and but even more so, what's happening with the, you know, the whole um, modern, you know, whatever whatever term you want to put all the modern gaming stuff in, the non-traditional, oh. the narrative, the whatever it is, um, you know, I feel like Part of our job is knowing about that too, even just because they're, you know, you can pull from that in in ways that, you know, they're doing innovative things that we should be learning from, and we're doing things that they can learn from. And uh, but it's hard; it's really hard to to sort of throw off the the easy, you know, the easy forty years or whatever it is. And like, oh, well, you know, I'm here's my old slippers. I'm gonna take these <laughs> off because uh, I'm gonna go try on some really uncomfortable plastic something or other and see if I like them. <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, let's just slide right into a super serious topic. So, Ryan, um, when I was listening to one of your shows recently, y- you made like a, a line in the sand, uh, and I was I was so shocked just because you don't see people do this very often. Um, you were talking about, uh, and I, I don't know what the, the proper term is, safety cards or safety mechanisms uh, in role-playing. Um and, and you kind of made the statement that you really felt that in a whole, they're not really necessary. That it's kind of very, you know, there'd only be a few instances where such a thing would be necessary in a game or useful to a game, and otherwise it's it's kind of getting in the game. Is that a, a fair summary of your statements on your program? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll say it again. I am 150% opposed to... Uh, the X card and many of the other safe, safety tools used in uh, used quotes, a lot of folks used quotes there. Yes, yeah, <laughs> my my finger quotes there. I should have usually yeah, better about that. Too, but keep going. But I, I'm completely opposed to all that stuff because all these games that we play are social games, and there is already built into social interactions this. Uh, social contract, whatever you want to call it, this idea that in order for this to work, we all have to kind of be cool. We all have to, you know, understand where each other's lines are and know, uh, you know, what not to bring up in front of each other, what, you know, how to keep things uh, rolling just on a social level. And when you're doing, when you're forming a new group or a new game, the best way to do that is just early on say, all right, here's the idea that I have for this campaign as the GM. Uh, this is generally the tone that I'm going to take. Uh, and along with this, there's going to be some stuff like uh, – let's use Dark Sun as an example because that's, <laughs> that's what we're here to talk about. In Dark Sun, uh, traditionally, you start out as enslaved people. You start out as slaves, and you will not earn your freedom. You escape and have to kind of live life as a fugitive working your way through this harsh world that ultimately will grind you down eventually you will die violently and horrifically and no one will mourn your death they're just going to continue about uh walking over your body as the sand rolls over top of it (laughs) um that's some harsh stuff but that's that's the uh, the crucible in which heroes are forged. 
So, so, if you... so it sounds like you're you're using this uh, uh, just to pull the term out this session zero as your safety tool. Like it's yeah. not like you are discarding safety tools. You have a safety tool and you're using mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it's so, it's so an so adult what, so conversation. Yeah. Right. So what's the statement that you don't like safety tools, right? You have one and you use it. That's the one you choose because it maybe works for you. Uh, the, hmm. the statement is I specifically the the X card is the one that really bothers me because it's a disruptive okay. mechanic. OK. And the the reason why it bothers me is it's essentially carte blanche to just walk away from whatever was going on. Right. And what scares you about that? Uh, what scares me about that is if someone pulls out something that they didn't already talk about that I didn't know about. Uh, so if they don't disclose to me, hey, this situation makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, so if something like that comes up, um, you know, just I'm not going to be okay with that. If I know that beforehand, I'm not going to do anything. If you tell me privately off to the side, uh, if something comes up, if I do kind of stumble over something, we can make changes. But in the middle of the game, if someone just goes, we are not going to do that anymore, stop. Yeah, no more I'm zombies. Like, well, wait a minute. We're, we're, this, the theme so, of tonight's so, adventure. No, it's, it's, interesting. <laughs> yeah. it's interesting what you're saying, though, because I feel like without the X card, if something like that comes up, there's going to be a disruption. Like somebody's going to get pissed. Somebody's going to flip the table. Somebody's going to walk off, and you'll have no idea why. This is a, in my mind, this is a de-escalation method. This is a way to do, to get up, to be like, well, let's not talk about this. I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't think there was going to be cat mutilation in this game, but because nobody talked about cats, we didn't even know there was going to be cats. But here we are, we made it to cat mutilation, and I'm not comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And right, so this is a, in my mind, this is the least disruptive way you could tell somebody, let's move off this topic. Because what's what's the other option? Either they're going to sit and suck it up. Or they're going to raise a stink, and neither of those is is cool. I, I think there's a yeah. I think there's a third option in there, and that option is to go to the GM yourself. Um, That's what they're doing. But they're doing it publicly. They're doing it in a in a big big showy way. Mm -hmm. And I say I think it's about as small as it could be, right? If it's got to stop now, like if I if this is really upsetting to me, mm -hmm. I'm really upset. I'm really hurting. I can get up and leave. Right, that's one option for me. I can leave the table, and that's a thing. And then somebody's going to come chase me down, and I'm going to be in the bathroom crying or whatever it is. Right, I'm going to be upset. Or I can put my hand out and say, "Hey, let's just let's move on. Let's skip this thing. And go on." Hmm. Uh, just to throw things out, just to uh, because you know, I I think I, I'm I'm of two minds on this whole idea because uh, you know, growing up, never never did any session zero. Never did any X card. Uh, there were games that I both played in and, and game mastered where things didn't jive quite right. You know what I mean? Like either player was upset about how something was handled, or I as a player was kind of like, you know, I really don't want to deal with this topic that that we're leaning into. I want to get back to this other topic that the game had been dealing with. But I feel like there, there's a, a, a different standard that you find at your personal home table where you're playing with people yeah. that you, you know and, and you're comfortable having a, you know adult social Absolute. conversations Absolute. with. Your friends. Vers yeah. yeah, versus yeah. like I'm at a convention, these are strangers, I know nothing about their background, and, and we don't have the, the trust between us to just say, hey, 
uh, Lou, I'll talk with you about it later, but let's, you know, or, or, or I just, you know, for what, they don't even have to talk about it later, but just, uh, hey, uh, can we get back to this part of the game? Or, you know, I, I want my character to go explore this other passage. I'm, I'm wanting to get away from this thing we're dealing with here. Um, but I, you know, I, I can't say that there's ever been a point in my games over, over topical stuff that it's ever boiled to it to an emotional eruption or to something where, where somebody pieced out on a game or whatever. Um, but that's just my experience. You know, mileage may vary. Bill. Okay. So I, there's a lot of catch up for me here, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm as old school as it gets. So when you guys started talking about X cards, I, to be honest with you, it took me a few minutes to figure out what the hell you were even talking about. <laughs> Sorry, man. So, um, well, why don't, cause I, I don't know if our listeners know what we're talking about either. You want, you want to inform, you know, do the, the point of discovery here. Well, someone better describe it better than me because I'm just going to say the only thing I understand is the X card is is if you're uncomfortable with a uh, story device in the game you're playing, you you raise some sort of card and you know whatever the DM says, okay, I'm going to pivot off of this. Is that what is that what generally? Yeah, that right? pretty much. Yeah, yeah it's it's on the table that sits you... on the table and people yeah. tap it or whatever. Uh, understood. To me, it's 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 completely bizarre. I mean, obviously, we're talking about two different things. Right? Your home group, you know, you all know each other. You know where you're going, and and you're good there. Um, at a convention, you know, can can I see something like that occur? Sure. We've brought a lot more people into the hobby, right? And a lot more um, people who weren't around, who might have. Let's. I'm, I, I want to be really careful here. Have maybe thicker skin, okay? Mm-hmm. Or um, look at things a little bit differently as a game mechanic, story mechanic kind of thing. You know, I I run a lot of convention games. I go to a lot of conventions, and and I know as as when I design my stuff. I mean, I hate to say it, it's it's not vanilla because I don't like being bland or or that I do like to twist things up. But I also know that to keep moral quandaries out of my D and D games. Put it to that way. Mm. Okay, <laughs> so I'm not going to have situations of something Maybe global that, killing. Right. You know, I, I guess the way I, I, you might want to think about it, right, if your grandmother's sitting at the table, you don't want to be talking about, you know, a rape or something crazy. You know, it just that's mm-hmm. not I'm never going to create something like that. I don't care what kind of compelling story I might be able to make out of it. I'm not doing that because it's going to make people feel uncomfortable. Hell, it'll make me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of like what you said, Lou. I'm of two minds on this. I'm not sure I, I'm with this whole in Ryan with, with someone just raising a card in the middle of a thing stopping the whole game, figure out what's going on. Because I might not even know as let's say the game master. I might not even know what triggered that person. Mm-hmm. But something just happened and that person got, got triggered. And that's another word I don't really love, but I think that's what we're talking about. So, you know, I, I don't know. I've never experienced it. And I've run a lot of games at a lot of conventions. I've never had anyone walk off my table and storm off, pissed off because of content. They might get pissed off because they're dead, but that happens a lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> I've grown accustomed to that. But uh, but usually you're pretty good at a game. I mean, I think most people running games at game conventions know, you know, you're there. People sign up for your game. They want to play three or four hours. They just want to have fun, right? You don't want – I'm not – I don't want to play in a game that has got all these moral quandaries or questions going on. I, I don't want to – I don't want to think too hard. I don't. I just want to sit there, roll some dice, have some fun, and meet some new people. And, yeah, and – and ultimately, um, that's where a lot of my issues with uh, that's where a lot of my issues with calling these things safety tools comes from, yeah, but... and where a lot of my issues with them just in general come from. This is a this is a game. 
we're we're all here to have fun. So the the idea that if you don't use these things, your game isn't safe. Kind of it strikes me as weird because at the end of the day, uh, there are topics that make people uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, all we're doing is uh, tossing some rocks with numbers on them and uh, talking to each other. So the idea there that is this is dangerous without talking to each other. Say what? There is very little more devastating than talking to each other. Well, yeah, well, I mean, words can be destructive, but the idea that if we don't have uh, guardrails on every single situation, then you're just asking for uh, some kind of disaster to come up. Uh, well, I, which I is... think there's, I mean, I think there's a couple things here that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about on this. One is the, uh, I think it is true that the games that we tend to run and that we tend to play are intrinsically relatively safe and there's a whole host of gamers who are pushing hard on dangerous games who are mm -hmm. really using gaming as a way to uh, push hard on emotions push hard on feelings push hard on and and they enjoy it i mean they're, they're there to have fun but their style of having fun is different than what we're talking about mm -hmm. and so i think a lot of these tools and i'm not going to put quotes around it but a lot of these tools exist for games that are inherently more dangerous than the games that we tend to play. Um, I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we are apparently uh, a bunch of risk-adverse people because our games are not, like, <laughs> you know, we don't wear seatbelts because we're driving 10 miles an hour, right? And, <laughs> and, 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 and having a lot of fun doing it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not dissing our games at all. I love it. Um, and I do not, you know, I tend not to go very far into the uh, sort of emotional gaming space, but it exists and it's real and it's uh, an important part of a lot of people's lives. So I guess my, my, I guess I'd rather see you reject them for your table rather than diss them as a, as a thing, right? And it's obviously your choice. I mean, you, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to preach. I didn't think I was here to preach, but maybe I am. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm not going to – if someone wants to put that in their book uh, and if someone wants to do that at their table, that's fine. I'm not going to do it at my table. Uh, I will let you know up front this is the general tone of the game that I'm going to run. Uh, usually I'll slap like a rating on it. I'll say this would be more of like an R-rated game. This is more of a PG-13 game because uh, I do think that's fair to let people know just because you, you don't know what everyone's comfortable with. And if you want to call that a safety tool, then yes, I, I, use a, I use a couple safety tools. I just, when it comes to uh, using that term safety in conjunction with role-playing games, I have a difficult time swallowing that this uh, this hobby. Right. Meets. So you've you've never gotten hurt in a deep way playing a game, so you don't believe they're dangerous. Is, no, is... I mean I I've gotten my feelings hurt, but I sure yeah yeah, yeah. I said in a deep way. We, yeah, I mean obviously, uh, but I mean you you've not um, you've never. Um, I mean, like I'd, uh, I'd say I've never been that, traumatized by. I've never walked away from a game and then been hurt so bad that I thought about it again. You know, uh, w without consciously trying to remember it, but any you time sleep forward. that night just to yeah, put well, a mild spin you know, on it, right? I, and that's not to say other people haven't. And, and you know, I, I guess you know, as you've kind of pointed out, there there are. I mean, 
technically, if, if, if we want to classify it, I mean, there's lots of different layers of, of safety tools as far as, uh, you know, w when you go to a convention, you get that little, like, back of the book, you know, uh, description of, of what this game's going to be about. And, and in, in effect, yeah, that is kind of like a safety tool there. It tells you, hey, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, giant spiders in this game maybe. Maybe it's, you know, called the, you know, web demon or whatever. Oh yeah, no, I'm a spider snowman. I'm 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 creeping out of this. I'm out, you know. Um, but then I, you know, I can see what Ryan's saying as well. There there are some people, uh, and I think the hobby to some extent attracts them that um, that, that that seek a little bit of attention, and they really they they tend to to what's the way to put it. Um, they tend to make podcasts. Okay. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those people. No, uh, but 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 there are some people that that seem to take delight in in turning the show on uh, to themselves. Like, oh no, well, well, we can't. You know, uh, I, I'm going to shut this down because you know I you know I absolutely love cats. We can't fight these uh, dire tigers here. This you know, and. Do I believe that someone can be so passionate about it that that they could have some sort of psychological damage from playing a game where you fight a dire tiger because you know it, it hurts their their love of felines and stuff? Yeah, I, I could believe that, but man, I feel like that's got to be such a rare situation. You know but what I, I mean? But I guess the, I mean my I guess what I'm trying to get at though is that person who's who's doing this to get attention is going to do it to get attention. And the least intrusive way I think that they can stop someone from killing the cats is by touching that card. What they're normally going to do is they're going to they're going to suddenly start talking about like they're going to pull a like if if that's their goal, it's not about safety and they're not going to use a safety tool. If that's their goal, they're going to pull attention to themselves and they're just going to start talking about uh, oh my god, I can't believe we're mm -hmm. killing cats. This is the you know, like they're just going to go off on it, right? And that's I that I, think, I don't know, man. I, I, so I, think... I feel like what we're doing is we're we're taking one problem that is real, and we're taking another solution which is also, I will say, real, and but they're not the same thing, and they mm -hmm. have nothing to do with each other. And I and I don't think that the one encourages the other. I don't think the one makes the other. You know, I don't think having a, an X card on the table is going to make somebody more likely to interrupt a game because they're an attention seeker. I could be wrong. No, but... I, you know, you got a point that I, I have no data to prove this or anything. It's you, you, you open by saying, what's your fear of it? And I guess you've kind of uncovered my fear. My fear is, you know, I've got this, this you know, story that, that's set up and, and I'm, you know, excited to have the players interact with it. And all of a sudden in, in one move that's that I had no idea was coming, uh, they closed the curtain on the scene we were running. And I don't know how to open that curtain back up and move forward. Uh, and now, you know, now I'm on eggshells and now, you know, and, and my fear is that it, you know, it, it was something that could have been dealt with because role-playing games are such open-ended games in, in some other manner. You know, this, this person, again, let's use the, the dire tiger example. It's maybe not the best example, but it's, it's an example. Um, you know, they could have said, okay, my character, you know, tells you all, hey, you know, what, let's see if we can, you know, turn them to make them friends let's see if we can scare them off or let's see you know there's other avenues in a role-playing game that they can approach in most situations uh to avoid the thing that they want to avoid other than hitting the, the hard stop i i'm thinking 
in, in many cases. I think most people would do that. I, I think most people yeah. would do that most of the time. I mean, no, nobody wants to have the game interrupted. Sorry, Bill. No, I, I think there's an evolution here thing that we're talking about, too, which has happened to the, the, the whole uh, RPGs in general, but D&D is specifically, right? I, I think back in the first 20, 30 years of D&D, I think people played it. We You played D&D to escape reality. Okay, right. It was an escapism thing, like going to the movies and watching Star Wars. Okay, you just for a time being, you just get out of everything that that is in part of your real life. But I think the transit there's a transition right now, and it's, it's, a go, it's clearly going on where there's a lot of D and D is not a, is is not escapism. It is a way to mitigate things that might bother you in real life through your gaming, right? Almost like a therapy kind or of thing. Explore them. Yeah, yeah. and and. It, like I'm not gonna sit here and bash on Watsi. I'm not. I, I like Wizards of the Coast for a lot of reasons, but I don't like some of the things they do. But they have certainly, um, through some of the things they've done in the last several years, increased that. I think part of the game, where people are bringing more real life stuff into the game that really probably doesn't belong in there. But it's it's you know. Mm-hmm. But even by I mean even that dumb legacy statement they have. I mean it, it, it's insane. I mean I'm sorry. It, I can't stand that whole thing. Um, but to me, because what it did is they brought something in that really was never there before, and and you know now they're they double down on it with some of their other things that they're doing within 5e to create. I think it creates more of that tension that really was, it just was never there. Nobody ever cared. I'm sorry. I played through the 70s and 80s. Nobody gave a crap that a female character could only have a 17. Or strength or an eighteen fifty instead of eighteen zero. Nobody cared. That's not and true. If you did, that you is fixed not it. true. That is well, not true. If you did, but you, but you, but, but Evan, what did you do though? Right? You house ruled it. Yeah, we fixed it. But you uh, fixed it. We were, but, but, but we, nobody we were, was sitting there saying we were, women are. But we didn't as you know, I, the seven or eight guys at my game table didn't sit there and say, well, women are inferior to men. Nobody ever said that. No, but that but was just the women the heard that. Well, the watch, women who were in my at my table reading those books absolutely heard that. Well. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, again, yeah. it's anecdotal. Our group did not, yours did. But I, right. I think to make a legacy statement and say that's how everything was back then, to me that that that's not where it should go. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what, what happens is the things we're talking about with these basically sensitivity cards, we're, we're, the game is opened up to that, whether we like it or not. Well, and I think it's but, not the game. I think it's a broader – I mean, I, it's not – I wouldn't yeah, – It's wouldn't kind of more the zeitgeist and the hobby – Agree, yeah. agree. I'm not just saying it, of the world. The world, I, I, yeah. It's, I started yeah. off by saying RPGs and yeah. in, in, in gaming in general. Um, you know, I'm bringing bring. I just wanted to bring it down to kind of what we're talking about with D and D. Right, but, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I think I mean we're we're absolutely seeing gaming as it always has. Gaming is reflecting society or certain parts of society. In a, in a, society is changing. In, absolutely, in a way. But I, I think my point is, I think back in the day, most people played the game more as a complete escapism and we didn't try to bring in any real life shit into our game versus today you see a lot more of that today i certainly see a lot more of it in the products that come out yeah. uh and that I, kind of thing so um well, i would also say and that that's fine i don't day. have an issue with it i play whatever i play you you know i you know a general you know, yeah. says all the time I, i'm not going to tell you how to have fun right i don't care how you have fun play the game where you want to play the game but i think there is definitely a presentation difference Oh, absolutely. And with the a and massive then, amount of people that have been brought in, you're 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 going to get this. Um, there's going to be sensitivities, right? There's just going to be more of that. Well, that implies that we were sort of 
homogenous before. Uh, well, I think, what we're I think we kind of, I mean, statistically, I think we kind of were. You know, if you look at, you know, who oh, made up sure. the, uh, the 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 uh, consumer back then versus now, I, and that's not to say that you know if they hadn't, you know, changed some lanes earlier on, that 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 consumer base wouldn't have changed earlier in history to the the more diverse group that we have now within the hobby. Um, but you, you know, all writers got a right to their audience, and you know, going with the concept of well, what you know, what was the common thought of you know, uh, if we go with the whole you know male female thing, I mean, I think a lot of people back then, you look at any sort of prose or, or, or movies and TV, and you you see this idea that oh, okay, males represent the the strong heroic type and and females represent the the feisty you know nurturers and and that's not to say that that's all they could do but that was I think par for the course in the time that that you know that was being developed and so moving forward you know I can see that it's it's weird to have a statement that says oh you know what what you're going to be looking at here is all wrong and skewed from the sense that it wasn't developed with, in my belief, in any sort of, um, what do you call it? There, there wasn't ill intent in its development. The developers weren't like, ha, 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 we're, we're going to make men stronger than women or whatever. Their mindset at the no, time was, this is, this is what it looks right. like statistically I, that, you know, men are X amount stronger than women on average. And, and, and you know, I, I don't whole, think that's ill wrong, intent. Like, it's it was, just it was it's wrong now and it was wrong then. That's that's the line that really gets my goat because it, it it's it's to me looking looking through the looking at 1975 through the lens of 2021 is just not right. It just isn't right. It, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be done, um, and it certainly shouldn't be. Uh, I think it's an overreach. Of, of course, there were things in the game that weren't that we look at today and say, you know, we probably wouldn't have done things that way yeah, 35 years ago. But, but for Pete's sake, in 1955, people would have, were saying, well, we wouldn't have done things the way people did it in 1920. I mean, there's always going to be yeah. that reflective look on things. I just don't think you need to stick it in print and shove it in everyone's face. Um, there's no need for why it. Why not? I mean, what's the, well, what why? But, why not? Well, well, me, why, why, well, why do what, it in what, first what, what is Because the, your 5 e players aren't going back and buying those books and doing that anyway. So I don't understand why that's a. It has to be like, that big well, of a thing for them. Yeah, I mean, no. I don't, I don't see it. Yeah. This, this is too big a conversation. Yeah, to have sorry guys, I, <laughs> I didn't read the uh, the side of the can. I didn't see the word worms on there. Uh, I just thought, you know, it's an interesting topic. But uh, you know, what, what's cool is, I mean, we got, you know, we have four different people here. Uh, I think we got a pretty wide age range, and we got a lot of different views on this. Uh, but we're all gamers. We're all hanging out, having a good conversation tonight. So it shows that, uh, you know, you, you can have, you know, different expectations and diversity of, uh, you know, beliefs about things, and it, we can all still get along, you know. Yeah, 100%. My, my last caveat on that is they can do whatever they want in their books. Yeah. It's their company. It's their, their company. books. And, and I, I don't disagree with them doing what they want to do, 100%. Absolutely. And, and, Again, just to put a cap on my whole uh, thing here, because like Edwin said, uh, the the solution here is just to do what you want at your table. And as long as everyone at the table agrees with what you're doing, as long as everyone's cool with it, you know, you do you and don't worry what happens at someone else's table because you're not there. I'm, you know, if people want to put that in their books, sure, cool. 
I'll, I have several books back here that have that kind of stuff in them. Um, I, I have a problem when people get upset when it's not there and when people, if I, like, if I put out Nighthaven tomorrow, it's not going to have that stuff in the front of the book. And if people want to raise a stink about it on Twitter, what I'm going to say to them is you don't have to buy Nighthaven. You know, if that's necessary for you, then, you know, you can, you can add it yourself, but I'm, I didn't put it in there cause I didn't want to put it in there. Right. Exactly. So I think, you know, yeah. Bill, Bill, you know, Bill saying the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think what this is, you know, I don't think Watsy needs to have these statements. And I think he went a little further. Watsy shouldn't have these statements, but what you you kind of went back on that and said Watsy well, can do what they want with their books. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I, all... If I said they shouldn't, I misspoke. They, I've actually posted online here in the last few days where I was talking with somebody about it. About Watsy has every right to put that in their books. It's their company. Yeah, and we can we can buy it, their books. It was all about the Justin Lanasa garbage yeah. that's going on, right? Yeah. So we're gonna sue Wizards of the Coast to get this out of their books. You're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Watsy's gonna put whatever they want in their books. Period. Okay. And yeah. there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. I, I you know. It, I, I'm a publisher, for God's sake. I don't want people telling me what I can and can't put in my books. I mean, they can put right. whatever they want. Exactly. You know, I, I don't agree with it. I still buy Watsy stuff because I can see past that. Okay, it's mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world for me. I don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do. You know, some people do, obviously, but I, I don't take those things personally. Yeah. But so I think it gets right back to the whole gaming table. Is is is, uh, is I think it was. Uh, I think the game is more personal, right? You know, people invest so much in these characters today. Uh-huh. Right when you roll up a character, they're not just you know we rolled up characters in three and a half minutes and we were done. Boom, go into the dungeon, you know, and off to the races. Today, character development is a, is a radically different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean we weren't creating personalities and that kind of thing. We talked about that earlier about about that kind of thing. Um, and it'll be fascinating when we get to the whole Dark Sun part. But uh, uh, <laughs> it's coming, folks. Hold on, hold on. It's coming. It, it, that's gonna come full circle. But uh, so I do think that's part of it too, right? It is it is a more of a personal game, so people do feel more personally connected to every part of it. Where I, I think a long time ago, and I'm not trying to speak for everyone, we were we were still just playing a game. I mean, obviously we weren't playing Monopoly, but we were still playing a game, and. And your character was a device to play that game, and whatever happened in the game were, were, were mechanics to move your game along. And, uh, you know, I think today, though, like like you're saying, people are more attuned to a lot more things. And the culture has become, if you're attuned to something and you don't like it, you're going to speak out. Um, versus just saying, okay, I'll let it go for now and move on. Because I could absolutely see someone flipping out about the fact that you're beating up cats in a game. Or cat warriors. I could have, I could, I could never have seen that 25 years ago. I could see it today. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's press forward into another segment then. Time for another short question. Oh yes, yeah. Go for it. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Go for let's it. do no, that. No, no, no. Get us back on point. You thought you just point. asked like a little, uh, little baby question there, and uh, we sort of went <laughs> off on you. So. <laughs> no, no, I, you know that's uh, that's the thrill of uh, a live show, right? It's, well, I guess we're not really live. A live recording. Yeah. Um. So, Ryan, our our next segment here coming up, uh, we're gonna talk about what we're looking for in gaming. We're talking about you know products we're out there seeking. We're talking about things we're trying to do at our table, things we're trying to accomplish in riding or whatever it is we do in gaming. Uh, so this is the uh, Grail Quest segment. Go and tell your master that we have been charged by God with a sacred quest. 
grill quest. All right, who has a grill quest this week? I do, but somebody else go first because I thought of it and now I can't remember what it was. So <laughs> a few days ago, I'm like, oh, I got a great grill quest answer. Now I, now it's completely gone out of my head. I'll uh, I'll go and I, I mentioned go this on it. one of the uh, the Facebook pages. Um, the uh, the adventure you had brought up last episode, I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was last episode. The uh, quest for the silver sword. Uh, after you had mentioned it, I kind of did some research on it, and uh, you're absolutely right. That that Thunder Rift, uh, I think it's a five five book series. Those seem like really solid starting adventures, uh, and I'm getting uh, some stuff together to give to my son for Christmas to kind of get him uh, to where he's running his own games. We've been doing some BX type stuff, and uh, so I was wanting to get some of those because I think they're just excellent. But unfortunately, man, you cannot touch old product uh, at any reasonable price anywhere on the internet nowadays. Uh, and and the POD stuff, unfortunately, a lot of it just uh, you know drive through does a good job with what they do, but it's you can't really get that you know that fold out uh, map and the counters and the the feel that you know visceralness of it. And that's what makes that product stand out so much from from any of the other basic versions that that TSR ever produced. That whole Challenger series, Thunder Rift setting, everything comes with big fold-out maps. Everything comes out with character cutouts. You know, it's just a fantastic product. The the, the crazy thing is, is those lagged behind. You know, the collect the the collector world has gone through the roof the last five years. Okay, everything's gone absolutely nuts. Those actually lagged. It wasn't until the last couple of years that those have really taken off. Mainly because nobody knew they barely existed, to be honest with you. Um, I still think that whole um, black box challenger set Thunder Rift campaign setting is the best basic slash BX backing, whatever you want to call it, system that TSR ever produced. And it's a, it's it's a shame that not enough people know exactly what it is because it, it is phenomenal, especially for starting out. And even if you got experienced players, it's a great thing to start out with because it's just it just it simplifies the game. A little bit, and um, this gives you a lot of cool tools. Yeah, so that's that's my big real quest. Looking for a, a copy of that that at least has the map. <laughs> good luck, good luck finding them. Though. Yeah, they're hard <laughs> to come by, and those were low print runs, surprisingly enough, for TSR back back then. Those were not high print run the, uh, products. The actual black box version, according to one site, uh, what did it rank? It was like the eighth or somewhere between 8 and 10 I can't remember what it was but but 8th, ninth, or 10th best selling uh, TSR product it was uh, in the first two years it sold over 500,000 copies Um, so you would think those would be out there but no man not for a decent price (laughs) no they're they're hard to come by and especially the the other boxes that came out they came out the uh, Goblin's Lair Dragon's Den and Haunted Tower um, are, are three more boxes the same size as that big black box they're really, really hard to find. All right, fellas, who else has something? Think of what you're looking for, Bill. I'm sorry. Did you think of what you're looking for yet? No, it has something to do with the tournament I'm running at Texas this year, and I need to pick something up for it. Now I can't remember what it, exactly what I was thinking I was going to pick up, but I know I'm I definitely in the market for a bunch of Dwarven Forge for it, so that might have been it. But um, you ever do 3D printing? Um, I don't believe it or not, and I have got tons of STL files because I I back like all Tom Tullis' stuff and uh-huh. other guys' stuff. But I still don't have a 3D printer, mainly because I'm a, a technological moron. So uh, it's coming, it's coming. I did a bunch of the the Fat Dragon stuff, and man, it's it's pretty nice. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. 
Ryan, you looking for something? Uh, there's one thing that I've been looking for for quite some time, and that is a reasonably priced, complete set of the uh, DC Universe Adventures books that Green Ronin put out in the late 2000s. I am a huge DC Comics fan. I remember um, right around this time... Uh, this this was right between the end of the post-crisis era and the beginning of the New 52 era. This book came out, which is why it's so hard to find, because um, DC said we're, we're going New 52, so Green Ronin stopped publishing this. Uh, but Steve Kenson, when he was on the show, told me all about the process and how much access he had to the DC archives and how much good stuff is in these books. So if I could get hard copies of those Green Ronin DC Universe Adventures uh, books that are... It's uh, Mutants and Masterminds D20 Superhero System. Uh, just just to have them, because they're great repositories of knowledge on the DC Universe. That's my grail. I see. I, I got a friend that has the, the starting book, but I, I don't know if he has any of the other adventures. Uh, have, have you ever played the DC Universe game put out by West End Games? Um, this would have been 98, 99, somewhere in there. Uh, no, the I have Funky Dice. No, I, I, I haven't uh, played that one. If you ever get a chance, check it out. Uh, it, it is, to date, my favorite of the superhero games in the way that it put things together. Uh, it just it plays really fast. The the power mechanics make it so that uh, it's really flexible, so you can, you know, you can do that thing where you use your power in a you know an unconventional way and still have a way to resolve that mechanically in the game. Um, it's just a real shame that uh, it kind of came out at the end of Wedge's existence, and uh, I think the only... I got everything I think they printed, and I think it's only total like six books or something like that. But uh, Yeah, I've, I've always heard the DC game was a lot... I mean, the Marvel game, I couldn't stand. I just... <laughs> I never cared for that one at all, um, but I heard the DC one was really good. But we we were a champions group, and we played champions with like it, when it first came out, and we played it for we campaigned that game for like ten years. So we were always a champions kind of group. So for us, it was all about character uh, generation, right? And mm -hmm. you really don't do that in the Marvel game at all. But uh, the DC one, I've never I've never read it, I, but I have heard good things about it. Yeah, so the, but you're right. Unfortunately, it it kind of came out yeah. and it just withered on the vine. Now, now, there's another, I mean, obviously there's the, that was the, the Wedge one that was the one I was talking about, but the one that came out before that by Mayfair, the DC Heroes version, uh, which is all a, per, okay. well, it's not, it, it's it's 10-siders, I don't think, that, it's not really a percent, but uh, um, that one's also really good, but it's got a lot that's more math. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the one I'm thinking yeah. of, Ben. And they actually had a pretty decent line for that one, they, uh, they actually went through two revisions in the game, and... Um, it kind of, I think that the final products that came out for it were right when uh, Tim Burton's Batman came out. They made a, a just standalone Batman version of that game, um, and then I think was the last thing they published. Edwin, what you looking for nowadays? Cool. Well, I just got a new writing assignment that I'm kind of excited about. I have a uh, an adventure that I I wrote the bulk of a few years ago. It was going to be part of the Whisper and Venom lesser known stuff. That's and awesome. uh, we uh, we were just discussing it at Frog God the other day, and 
looks like I get to write the other half of it and flesh it out to a full module. So I'm, I'm very excited to get back into that one and reread it, see if I can remember it, <laughs> what I was thinking. But, yeah, uh, because you guys, you're redoing Whisper and Venom for 5e, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I finished the 5e translation for Whisper and Venom last week, I think, two weeks ago. I just a little bit of the appendix still had to had to get polished up. Uh, so that's done, and uh, I think the editing's done on that. So, yes, yeah, so that'll be coming out hopefully sometime soon. And then, yeah, this is just, um, this adventure is just north of of Whisper, um, up in the up in the dwarven lands, up in the mountains. Um, so, but it was a fun one. It was it's a uh, it's a lot lighter. You know, most of Frog God stuff is is sort of dark and creepy, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know that's what we do, and we all love that stuff, and um, you know, play a lot of Call of Cthulhu or whatever. But this one is this one has you know a lot of has it's got the puns in it, it's got the food monsters <laughs> in it. It's it's nice. just it's it's a it's a it's not. Silly, like it's still a hard adventure. I think I think you could easily end up dying, uh, maybe even in Five E. Um, <laughs> it's hard, but it's uh, but it's goofy. It's definitely <laughs> it's definitely got some humor in it, but it's got some fun. I don't know. It's, it was a fun like the the visual stuff on it is a lot of fun. So I'm excited to see it, you know, with art and layout and all that. So, you know, the, the the difference between the words on the paper. And then the the published thing is always a super fun mm-hmm. transition. See what other people bring to it when they bring in the art and bring in the um, layout and all that. Yeah, just the other ideas. So I'm mean, I'm looking forward to the, that project. Well, uh, just out of curiosity, I mean, yeah, I mean that's uh, that's Zach's playground there that, that Whisper and Venom, right? How yep. how much does he get into your designing of of that adventure and that space that the adventure takes place in? And how much is he like, man, just do what you're going to do. I'm cool with it. Well, so we, we co-wrote uh, Death and Taxes. And then this had been planned to be our third. Like, this was going to be the third box. So we'd actually sort of. So he was he was there a lot on the brainstorming. Um, and then Zach and I definitely get into playing with words and trying to figure out where to bring in, uh, you know, something that. I feel like what we both absolutely believe that it's got to play well at the table. Like the first and foremost thing an adventure has to do is it's got to serve the GM at the table during the game. But um, both of us really also try to put the little extra on that makes it just a fun read. You know, that like the like if I can get the GM to crack up while they're prepping, I feel like I've done a, you know a good or 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 not even crack up, but you know have some thoughts do something you know get them get them juiced a little bit that helps the game too so uh so he was definitely a big part of that but in terms of the i mean i guess you know he'd sort of set up the the base world and then the two of us i think had pushed so he'd sort of gone so far and then the two of us working together pushed it further i'll call it north um and and sort of wrote out a bunch more world and we're thinking about how we could but basically we said these are the adventures we want to do this is the world we need in order to host that let's figure out how this all works together and so we have the like the southern part of the uh, world as whisper and venom created like there's a sort of a city way down south and then there's whisper which is sort of the you know the the country town a ways away some sort of unknown distance away just far enough away for it to be an adventure <laughs> 
And I think we just kind of push the the concept that as you keep going north, things just get wilder and more dangerous. So it's kind of the same idea as the dungeon crawl, right? You know that mm-hmm. Whisper and Venom was a one through three. If you go another hundred miles to the north, you better be level five or you're not going to live. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Mason Dixon line of adventuring there. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I think did I answer that question? I'm I think so. Did you answer I'm the happy. Question? Yep. <laughs> Happy and juiced to see it. I'm I'm excited. I mean, I t- talked to Zach a lot when he was developing Whisper and Venom, and obviously bought it right away when he kickstarted that one back in the day. I'm super excited to see a 5e version. So cool. Yeah, was, and especially expanded because it, was, it it really is fun. Yeah. No, it's a fun world. It's uh, there's a lot. It's funny because when when Zach and I worked, he really is the uh, like he's the visionary when it comes to being creative. He's he's creative at the at the thirty thousand foot level, um, and you know I can be creative, uh, and he and he's also creative. I guess what I'm trying to say he's also creative down in the detail. You know if he wants to come up with that list of book titles, um, but I'm I feel like I'm pretty much only creative down in the down in the weeds. You know big once picture, I have a yeah a big picture and detail. Yeah once I have right? a big picture, I can fill it out, make it interesting, yep. make it fun. Um, but he he's definitely the one who comes up with the big picture. Like he he's he's got that, and whatever it is, it's like I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna envision something that doesn't exist at all, and then I'm I can do a great job populating it. So yeah, yeah. It's definitely it's definitely on him. If it sucks, it's his fault. That's what I'm trying <laughs> to say. <laughs> so I believe there's a specific phrase that is common amongst the the frog god crowd uh, that is thrown around if something is Zach's fault. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> Bill, did it, did it come to you what you needed for your tournament? No. Uh, I knew you need the Dwarven Forge stuff. The rest of it I, I cannot remember. So next uh, next podcast I'll remember and I'll actually write it down. <laughs> I was uh, hearing a lot about the uh, – I can't remember the company's name now. There's a company making like little monster character tents that you put over your Game Master screen that have the monster stats on the back and – like a picture and, and stuff the characters might need mm-hmm. to know on the front. I, I'm I'm really interested in that product. Uh, that you know I don't I don't play fifth edition, so I'd have to see if anybody's out there mimicking that for some of the older editions. But uh, but I think that's a brilliant thing. You know you get them use them for combat order, and it's you know just a, a quick little flashcard to give you the, the basic stats. So you're not flipping back and forth on the monster manual. Yeah, I'll have to look because I think uh, I think I have something. Yeah, they basically go on the GM screen and they just fold over, and you've got the GM side info on your side and the player info side, whatever picture, but mostly. But and then you can use it for initiative, and you can and uh, and you can also put your players' characters on very similar cards, so you've got their armor class, and you put them in the initiative. And yeah, I think they're a really cool system, and I I feel like. At some point, I picked up some Labyrinth Lord or Swords and Wizardry or some 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 old school game version of those things. Um, I'll have to look and see if I have anything. See what I have. Well, you've given me hope. <laughs> if not, if not, uh, I'll talk to Zach and Frog Guide will publish them soon. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I love them. <laughs> All right. Well. If, uh... Everyone's good. I guess we'll, we'll slide in. We got a couple letters uh, for the letters from the Homeowners Association this week. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. 
My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. All right, we got two letters tonight, and one of them came in just under the wire. I don't know if you guys got the email, but uh, we got one just this morning, so it's perfect timing. Uh, the first, though, the first was from uh, Jared Schelling, and he writes, What a neat podcast. I love your concept. You were talking about Victory Games' James Bond RPG last episode. That reminded me of how awesome that system was. It really did play best one-on-one. -on -one. My college buddy Kent and I ran that thing on Pizza Tuesdays for almost three semesters. <laughs> as you might know, it created some major innovations, such as the percent success categories we now associate with Chaosium, and the hero points used to not only change successes, but add props into the environment, like some of the newer uh, PBTA and Fate systems. This has got to be my favorite espionage game. I've heard the game classified is a decent retro clone of it. Do any of you have this or know whether it is any good? How about any other espionage games? I've seen Luau Lu's video about house ruling top secret, but I would love to hear everyone else's takes on spy RPGs. Have a happy holidays and hope you get lots of RPG goodies from Santa, Jared. All right, what do you think? So uh, because you were reading the question, you didn't get to see it, but I do actually have a hard copy of Classified right here uh, because I love this game. Take our word uh, for it, guys. He's holding it up. <laughs> it's a black cover, red character. No. <laughs> but yeah, this um, – I've actually got a cool story about the James Bond role-playing game slash Classified just because I put something on their Facebook page and then they reached out and said, hey, we'd be interested in – uh, experiencing this, I got to run a session of James Bond role-playing for the uh, hosts of the podcast James Bond Radio. For anyone who's a big Bond fan and listens to that podcast, uh, a few of the guys came on the show. We were going to do it for the show, but because none of them really kind of understood role-playing, none of them were role-players – it didn't turn out in a way that was entertaining for a podcast, but they had a good time with it. Uh, it was a, a nice introduction to them uh, or for them to the world of role playing. So uh, I got to run James, uh, the James Bond RPG for the guys in the James Bond radio podcast. I mostly used classified. Uh, it is a great retro clone and the art in it is fantastic uh to describe it to anyone who hasn't seen it it's like if archer was serious is the the best <laughs> way i know how to put it how about you guys any experience with the uh the old james bond game i think we talked a little bit about it uh i i, I don't have I never i own the original game i never played it we we played top secret back in the day the first edition version from from tsr um kind of fit our group pretty well um so I, we weren't really big into espionage games so much. I mean, we, we liked Top Secret. We dialed off a lot. Um, that's about all I remember from that. But I remember liking the James Bond RPG. It was definitely more of a, I think, a user-friendly game than Top Secret. Top Secret's not, especially first edition Top Secret, is not <laughs> very user-friendly. Um, and I love, Murray S. Houston is a very good friend of mine, but that game was tough. That game was tough. Um but, uh, I mean, great products. I mean, the uh, I've got a couple of their supplements, and they're actually, I mean, you could use them for other games, they're fantastic. Uh, um, they have a, don't they have like a Goldfinger one, right? 
Yep. I, I, I was going to say, I think they got one almost product. for all the, the movies. Yeah. Yeah, for almost all the movies. That is a great product. Dr. No is a great one. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it, they're great products. I mean, I, I know that much. They're well put together, well designed. They didn't, they didn't cheap out on them. Um, I know that much. I don't know anything about the retro clone for James Bond at all. But now I'm intrigued because I just like reading that stuff anyway. But uh, um, that's about all I know. I can't compare anything other than just basically talking about Top Secret as far as espionage. So Top Secret still, it's a great game. I play, if, if you want my two cents on that, I play Top Secret. Play the play the first slash second edition game. Don't play SI. SI is a commando game. It's not, a, it's not an espionage game. So. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in your seat as far as I've got several of the uh, the supplements for the uh, original game there, and I've always just used those with other espionage games. As you know, here's a cool location and some you know it's got a lot of rich detail on how to use that location and characters great maps, and stuff. Right? Yes, oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, but uh, I think there are kind of two camps when it comes to espionage games. There's there's people that like that you know more. Um, Oh, the uh, what you, the spy that came in from the cold kind of thing, where you're really dealing more with the intellectual side of of espionage and and all that, versus people that want more the action mover uh, action movie. Yes. And you know, I think both are fun, but uh, definitely you're right. S Top Secret SI is is more into the action movie, small commando awesome. team, and you know, uh, whereas the original Top Secret was a lot more, you know, being being uh, Joe Blue Collar, you know, posing as you know a worker in a factory and stealing secrets, kind of thing, to some extent. What and, you know, I, I mean, I, I I would love people just to to get a hold of it and try and play it with your group because everyone's going to roll up a character, right? And the, the variance of characters that you're going to get in Top Secret One E, it, it they, they you simply cannot work together. It's so it's so awesome <laughs> yeah. and dysfunctional. <laughs> it's just great, right? Because. You know, not everyone's going to roll up their James Bond kind of character, right? They're going to roll up, you know, a, a, a guy from Iraq or a guy from, you know, Russia. Or, you know, you're going to have all these different characters that people come up with. And, and the, the, the game master is sitting there trying to figure out, okay, how do I get all these people together to run, out, <laughs> run out, any sort of scenario, right? Um, it's a blast to do that. It's, it's, it's so dysfunctional. It's just fun. <laughs> well, one of the things that uh... – it seems like a super challenge on all these games is that, uh, you know, both the, the look are intellectual type and the, you know, Fleming James Bond type, those are all about, uh, one spy. Right. And, uh, and that's, and I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fiction genres that have that issue where there's one person who's sort of the main, the focus, you know, Indiana Jones, there's, there's a person, but you know, maybe there's three people. And so taking, Figuring out a way to do a good espionage game for a table is uh, that emulates or looks like or feels like any of these things, I think, would be a huge challenge. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything specific on this one. I've played um, Knight's Black Agent, which I'm, you know, is sort of espionage adjacent. Um, as uh, it's, uh, I think it's supposed to be sort of on the James uh, Bourne. That's Jason, Jason Bourne. Bourne. Yeah. I was getting confused. Jason Bourne uh, model, which again is sort of on the action superhero, but with vampires. In fact, I think <laughs> I think he says it's basically Jason Bourne going against the vampire conspiracy. Um, but, so it has a lot of the, you know, it has the sort of um, 
um, paranoia type stuff of espionage. It has, you know, the people double crossing you and it has a lot of that stuff, but it's still in some ways more action than, than cold war, uh, spying, you know, spy stuff. But well, and, yeah, and, I don't, I don't have anything on, uh, James Bond RPG. Yeah. And I, I like I said, I would have really been interested to try to play it because it was, it would have been radically different from, like I said, we played top secret, which is an absolute, absolute cold war game, right? It's based, that whole setting is, is, is cold war related. Um, so you have to get into that whole, all the equipment in the book is, is, is based on that. Um, you know, we did play a little bit of hero games had one, their, their spy game was called espionage. And that was the same kind of thing, but I think it did gravitate more towards James Bondish, even the cover, if I remember right, almost had a James Bond looking like dude on the cover. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well in, uh, in three months or six months or something, we'll have Ryan back on and he can uh, run us. We'll do a, uh, he can run a one hour, uh, classified game for us. That would be awesome. Ryan, where'd you get that copy from? Uh, I got it on drive through. You got it on drive through. Okay, cool. Yeah, you go on cool. drive through. You can get the, the print plus PDF and, uh, it, it's a, it's a good looking book. Uh, I, I really like it. You know, the only thing I want to throw out there, because I think Bill and I were both uh, throwing this back and forth, uh, what was it, Wednesday on uh, Talking Crit with uh, Tenkar and Bad Mike, um, the new version of Top Secret, Top Secret New World Order, which it's not really a new version of Top Secret, but it's by the same minds that kind of put it together, plus a few. Um, it, it goes from being, you know, you think of Top Secret as a very old-school chunky mechanics, uh, you know, different systems kind of sitting side by side to run things. Um, the the new version of it's all streamlined and very fast played and a lot more like a James Bond movie than the old one was. So if, if that's your leanings, you know, I can definitely recommend it. Um, I don't think the artwork's uh, as great as I wish it could be, but, but having published stuff, I understand, you know, you got what you got for an art budget and you, you got to spend it wisely. But uh, but it's a fun game anyhow. And if you're looking for something that works well on a table, your results here are going to be a little bit more modern Mission Impossible. Uh, but Savage Worlds, I think, is really good for kind of your pulp espionage, especially Suede, the most recent edition. Uh, it, it's good for anything that's got like a, a good pulp flavor to it. So if you're looking to run an espionage game and you don't really want to deal with the whole it works better with just one player thing. I think Savage Worlds is going to give you kind of the most variety there where you can have multiple players that do different things but can work together and yeah. and accomplish the mission together. There you go. Uh, I just pulled up that on uh, on DriveThru. So, yeah, Classifieds on DriveThru. You get a PDF where you can get a soft cover. I think it's 20 bucks for the soft cover. And they actually have one adventure module out, and that's only like 10 bucks for the soft cover. So we'll give them, hopefully they get a nice little bump here from uh, sales. <laughs> all, all our dozens of listeners. But uh, <laughs> it's it's funny how that goes, right? And I mean, I would probably see it with Frog Guy too. It's like, you know, we, you know, Pacer, we have our, we have our, our website, we have sales and, and whatever, whatever. And all of a sudden it'll, it'll be weird. We'll have a, a couple days, we'll have this spike in one particular product. And you're like sitting here scratching your head going, why on earth is, did 35 people just buy a module that we printed 12 years ago? It's like, because someone bought it and reviewed it somewhere that we don't know anything about, right? And it's funny how that goes or popped up on a podcast or whatever somewhere. It's pretty cool. 
So shout out to them and hey guys, go out and buy that. I'm I'm buying it. I just put it in my cart. So <laughs> awesome. All right, and then the uh, the fresh off the press uh, letter from John Williams. Uh, so he writes again. He said uh, he has an idea for a show topic: uh, random dungeon generators versus purely original dungeons versus hybrid dungeons. I have recently been going through my AD&D DM's guide again and was reading Appendix A and thinking that I've never actually randomly generated a dungeon. The Old School Essentials book has some stuff about creating dungeons with a few tables to help you out when creating them, but not or I'm sorry, but no random generator. So I'm wondering, how many different random dungeon generators have you looked at? Which is best? What features make generators good? What bad mistakes do random dungeon generators make? Should people try and slap together their own random dungeon generators? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Leave it to the professionals. <laughs> it's uh, <like> dangerous. <laughs> it might get hurt. <laughs> get that X card out. Uh, Remember what happened to Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't go amazing monster on us. Uh, as well, I wonder... Is it better to do a hybrid of random generation and deliberate design? Should 50% be random and 50% be deliberate? Or is there some other ratio that might be better? Or do you suggest playing around with different ratios for practice? I don't think I've ever heard any podcast talking about this subject other than maybe to go over Appendix A and possibly design a dungeon based on it. I like the idea of random dungeon generators because it saves a lot of mental effort and in theory, you have just as good results because your players probably won't think anything better or worse. All right, John. Uh, I got to say, I, I am interested in maybe circling back on this and doing an episode where we all kind of pull together some of our resources for, for random generation of adventures and dungeons and, and look at some of those resources. But uh, let's let's just do some hot takes here on, on random generation. Uh, I can speak on it directly because we just... A couple months ago, wrapped up our the Kickstarter funding for Endless Encounters, which is our random dungeon generator, and it that book's about 300 pages. Um, and it takes you from a level one through ten done generators for each level. Um, it's massive. It's you know it's a it's a product that we actually started about 10 years ago. We kind of every year produced one level of a dungeon generator, but now we just kind of expand it massively to this Endless Encounters thing. As far as and that the whole thing we designed it is 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 a tool to do two things. Okay, is this random dungeon generator? It's actually more of a random room generator. So if you're stuck, you no, know, you're 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 playing your game and you come across an empty room or something like that, and you're like, man, I really want to do one more encounter tonight. You can pull out this book or any run, random dungeon generator, right, and just roll some dice and and create create a, a quick encounter or that kind of thing. I, I think the you know. The book we're doing is designed to also populate an entire dungeon. There's a lot that goes into that. So I think you can do it, and it can be a whole lot of fun because what it does is it stirs your creative juices, right? You make a roll, and you come up with something weird that you didn't think of. It's totally out of the box, and then your brain starts spinning a little bit, and then you roll something in the next room or a couple of rooms down. You're like, wait, I can relate this back to what I rolled up four or five rooms ago. So I, I love this idea that this is a great conversation. I can go on, and we all probably can for hours. So I do think it's a great topic. Um I don't know too many other big dungeon generators that are out there. I mean, there's Tomb of Adventure Design, but that's not really a random dungeon generator. Uh, it's a great product, by the way. Um, so 
as far as mixing and matching, I, I like I said, I, I think it's okay to randomly generate a room or an encounter randomly. I don't know that. I don't know what I would do the 50, 50. I'm kind of a, you know, with the, the old karate kid line, you know, you know, walk on right side of the road. Good. Walk on left side of the road. Good. Walk down the middle, get run over by a truck. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's kind of how I look at it. Um, I, I think there's use for all for, for it in, in any way, but I think I would go one way or the other. That's interesting. Cause I was about to, uh, oops, sorry, Ryan, you were about to say something there. Go for it. Oh, just, I, I'd have more to say on this, uh, on this subject, but Ben Barsh big league me. So, uh, so we didn't end up getting to that episode, uh, during the campaign for, uh, for endless encounters. <laughs> Ryan is yeah. Ben up here. Hey Ben. <laughs> <laughs> oh. that, that might've been the best timing I think ever could have happened ever. In the history of ever. <laughs> you are still welcome on the show, by the way. Just text me. Or That's, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have your number. We'll we'll deal with that later. I'll just put it out for everyone to hear. Ready? Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna dox myself. Eight six seven five three. Have your people get with his people. <laughs> All right, I just wanted to vote him off. Have fun. <laughs> How's it going, Ben? Um so I was, I, it was funny because where I thought you were sort of headed, uh, and definitely where I was headed was in my mind the, uh, it's random until you don't need random anymore. Like random, as you were saying, is a great place to start, and and then at some point your brain takes over, right? You've suddenly said, huh, this is weird. We've now had you know two dragon encounters. There's obviously a convention of dragons going on, and oh shit, I just wrote an adventure. We've got the next like three weeks of play figured out because I happened to roll twice on the. So I feel like for random encounters, random dungeons, um, whatever your rumor tables, it doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever sort of random seating thing you're doing, in my mind, what's always worked best for me is using it just until I don't need it anymore. It, um, yeah, I think I you you just said that a lot better than I did, and I took a lot longer to say that. I think I think that's the 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 beauty of a random gen- a, a generator tool is to get you going down that road. And to inspire you, right, and, and and get you going, and then you can still use those tables and charts, you know, in, in oh, yeah. a good random digital to, to 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 fill the rest of your idea up without having don't, don't you don't even roll a dice anymore. Just go through and pick the things oh, just, out. Cherry pick what you yeah. want, right? And yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I feel like the the good ones. Um, I feel like a good random thing, whatever it is, has somebody has put enough thought into it to make sure there's some interesting uh, mixes that could come up and that it's not just bloody obvious stuff. I don't need a, I don't need a random generator to give me 10, 10 kobolds and a, and a 30 by 20 room. Like I can come up with that on my own. Thank you. Um, 100%. But, if, but guarding but 10 copper pieces, that's genius. <laughs> right. But, but exactly. You give me some story. Like if you give me a little a little story hook, anything fun, then then all of a sudden. Um, well, so I had a I'm, in, I'm playing in this game of Stonehell and uh, we had uh, and I don't actually know which which came first, but so we decided that we are going to um, sell beer to a lot of the denizens of Stonehell. So every time we go to the dungeon, we've got a few barrels of, uh, of beer on the on the donkey. Well, in last night, two nights ago, whatever, the last game I played in, uh, we were taking our rest. You know, every hour you got to take a rest, otherwise you get penalized. And so we were sitting there, and we hear this noise down in the down the hall. 
and you know we're we're kind of beat up. It's that time of the night where the your characters are a little little sketchy, and we're just we're just shitting bricks. And because we could tell it's a lot of something coming. Well, it turns out it was like seven orcs with a barrel of beer uh, that they'd stolen from whoever we sold it to, and they were just plastered. And I think I think it was a random encounter that, but it spun off the storyline that we'd been sort of making. And when that stuff happens, it's just like, it's, it's such a good, uh, yeah, it's, it adds so much to an adventure when you can tie those things together. Um, so if you have some, so I guess as I was saying, yeah. So if there's a random generator that has story, like if they're drunk orcs or if they're drunk orcs celebrating the fact that they just managed to steal something, you know, this specific thing from like, now, now you've hooked me. Now you have a generator that's worth playing. And same thing with dungeons. You know, if I, I remember because the, the DM, if I remember correctly, and I guess we'll get into it, but it's got some funky stuff. Like I remember playing with that. Like when I was a kid, oh, you know, and I didn't have, yeah, the GM, and I didn't have it friends. Like sense. I would, I would roll up dungeons and, yep. and you know, sort of a, a, you know, it wasn't choose your own adventure. It was roll, roll your adventure as you go. And you'd have your little character, <laughs> and you'd roll it up. And you're like, oh look, I'm in this big room, and. You get making the map, and you're like, oh look, here's some encounters, and you're like, I'm dead again. Okay, well, let me make another room and some more encounters. Like I remember, I remember filling up graph paper, oh, uh, yeah. just rolling on the on the DMG charts, and um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely good stuff. And that's and that's kind of like I said, I'm I'm not trying to our, the Kickstarter is over, so the only way you're getting on is do late backing anyway. But um, the that was kind of the whole genesis of this thing too. There's only like for each level, there's only a couple of charts, two or three charts to actually stock your room or your dungeon, you know, but there's another 40 charts that deal with where you can go to different things of, of the who, what, where, why, when it all needs to make sense in some way or shape or form. And it may not, it might be just something that doesn't make sense at all, but there's still a way, there's a reason why it doesn't make sense. So it's, it's, right. it's something that needs to be, I agree with you hundred percent. It needs to be in a, a random dun- dungeon generator, which is so hard to say for some reason. Um, <laughs> It, uh, it it needs to do right. Anybody can roll on a chart somewhere and roll up a couple of monsters with a little bit of treasure, right? It's but why they're there and what they're doing is uh, and what what the environment looks like is it illuminated? Is it not? I mean, we put all that stuff in this book, and that's why it's going to be freaking two inches thick. Um, we have a hard time even getting it printed now. But anyway, uh, it's uh, I mean, it's kind of like uh, whose line is it, anyways, right? You you you've got to have sure. those few setting factors that all of a sudden okay now we got something to work with you know this this right. and this is going on okay how are you going to respond yeah yeah and yeah you know, i'm excited by it i mean i, I, I think i think there's a, a there seems to be a, a, a definitely a market for it that case started did extremely well for us i mean it's, it's our largest backing project ever um and you know we're gonna do we're doing more i mean this one's just on dungeons so we're gonna do one on like forests and wildlands. We're going to do another one on underground. We're going to do the one on undersea um, because I think there's room for it. And I, I do think there's room at the table for people to use products like that. So I, I wouldn't be afraid of whether it's, it doesn't matter where you find your random dungeon generator at. And I would not definitely not be afraid to use them to augment your, your adventure and even create your entire adventure based on, based on it. Cause you will come up with things that you never would have thought of. Use whatever tool gets you the closest to the outcome of Knowles playing poker. Bingo. <laughs> that's right. There's a painting yeah, on the wall. Yeah. There's five Knowles to play in poker. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I was gonna throw out, uh, and maybe if if we get together a episode, we can go into more detail. But a um, couple things that this brought to my mind: uh, the old uh, geomorph set where you had yep. caves and stuff that would randomly go together. Those are nice to have for something like that. Um, the Dungeon yep. Alphabet yep. book by uh, Goodman Games. It's really nice yep. to give you an idea of something to put in a dungeon and, and give you some tables to roll on. Well, and even TSR's Monster and Treasure assortments, right? So there oh, yeah. three. It levels one through three, four to six, and seven to nine. I mean, that's where actually our my idea for this came along about nine, ten years ago. Instead, I just did them one. I did a first level one. I did a second level one. Pretty much identical to the way they present them. I even printed it the way they printed it in, in separate, loosely format. Um, and those are great products for us for a long time. But we added, you know, some more charts in there and kind of upscaled it and and uh, went that route with it. And it, now it's obviously it's going to be this massive book. But that's a great product. Again, that's another tough one to get your hands on. They're going to be expensive, but those are they're a blast. Just buy them for the Tom Wham art, <laughs> and you're good to go. Well, I was going to mention too. I had uh, this is a, it's a I, so I bought the uh, Dyson logos. Uh, dungeon books, which mm-hmm. is a random dungeon. Generally, like, it's not you know, like you just you just you know. You just, I, I have literally you know showed up to a game that I didn't expect to be running, opened the book to a page and be like, yeah, we'll play this. I don't know what it is. It's just an unstocked dungeon, but <laughs> they're interesting enough maps that you can make story out of them pretty easily. You know, as soon as you hear the characters and you're like, oh yeah, you've got a thing, and you're looking, oh yeah, okay, this is what's going on here. So I feel like you can even do a random just a whole random dungeon as opposed to generating a dungeon randomly. Have you guys ever used the uh, the one page dungeon website the uh yep. wataboo.itch.io yeah. or something like that? Mm-hmm. That's fantastic for that too. Uh, just getting something yep. for tonight's game, you know, self descriptive. Yep. All right. If you roll random encounters, you may run into Ben Barsh while you're trying to gently rib him about scheduling conflicts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, if you two got some show ideas or have some questions for us or want to rake us over the coals for our uh, opinions and ideas, uh, you can write to this old dungeon. Uh, it is hard to say dungeon tonight. You can write to this old dungeon at gmail.com. Uh, that's T H I S O L D U N G E O N at gmail.com. All right, and that brings us to what we've all been waiting for. We've teased you long enough. Uh, here is the segment, This Old Dungeon, and tonight we're talking about Dark Sun. This Old Dungeon. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. All right, Ryan. You, uh, when I reached out to you and, and, and begged you to be on the program, uh, you said, okay, only if, no, <laughs> but you said that you'd like to talk about uh, Dark Sun, and I know uh, my heart grew three sizes bigger, and uh, Bill was on top, and, and Edwin, you, you said, you know, you're, you're fair game for learning about it and uh, poking around, questioning about it, so, uh, so the premise is taking Dark Sun, the campaign setting, and seeing how it would transfer over to Dungeon Crawl Classics, am I right? Absolutely. That That is what I've prepared. And the reason why I did it this way is, one, I've been obsessed with DCC for about a year now. 
Um, I've, I've done a lot of content on both DCC and MCC, but two, I've run Dark Sun in 5th edition, and it kind of worked. But looking back now and knowing what I know about Dungeon Crawl Classics, I wish I had run it in DCC from the beginning. And hopefully by the end of uh, this program, uh, you too will feel the same way. All right. So, you know, let's take the so challenge So start here. me off here. Start me off and uh, I guess any of you, but uh, so I, I read the little Wikipedia blurb. That's where I'm at. Uh, and I, I can, I can abs- just, just from the Wikipedia blurb, I already can feel why you're thinking DCC stuff. Um, oh, but yeah. tell me, like maybe each of you, because you're all hot on uh, on Dark Zones, and tell me, like tell me one thing, like what's what's uh, what's the big thing for you? Why why do you love the setting? Why don't we start with Bill, just because I think it's interesting. Um, this was such a such a right turn from a lot of what TSR had been publishing. Uh, it's interesting to me that that you you know gleaned it so well. You want to talk about your your first encounter with it and what you think about it and what it is yeah, to you? I, yep, I bought it when it came out back in the day. Um, even though we weren't, we were playing a lot of second edition back then, because this was put out for, for 2E, but it came out early, and this came out in 1991, so it came out early on in the 2E thing. I, it, it was probably more of a 1E product that got changed into 1E, because it, you can definitely see a lot of first edition. Um, you know, you lift up the skirt, and there's a lot of it there. So, but, so Dark Sun is uh, it's, it's a radically different campaign saying than anything else that TSR had put out up to that date, right? So you, you've got campaign setting. Uh, I actually looked up a, a chart, kind of a timeline. First of all, TSR was going campaign settings ass all the damn time, which is ridiculous. I mean, you got Greyhawk and then you got Forgotten Realms. They're both, you know, medieval, romantic, and style heroic fantasy campaigns. And and, I, and I'll even say that, that Forgotten Realms is even more that romantic... Mm-hmm. And kind of campaign setting, and and I'm I'm not going to sit here and knock it a lot, but it's it's probably my one of my least favorite large campaign settings out of TSR, um, because I, I I don't know Greyhawk did everything that Forgotten Realms tried to do, but it did it I think more of a rough and tumble way. Um, so you 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 go through the years, and they're putting throwing out campaign settings, and you know. It, TSR is throwing out a Ravenloft campaign setting for God's sakes for, you know, just because they put out one module that everybody loved, you know, now it had to be a campaign setting. Uh, but when Dark Sun came out, it was so different than anything else they had done. I mean, you're starting off in a world that has had a cataclysm and then got hit by a meteor, basically. So it's just uh, anything that could go that could go bad in the world has gone bad, right? So there's virtually no water. Um, magic, everyone hates it or... You know, you can't, it's outlawed, or, and only certain people are allowed to use it, and you can't use, you know, one type of magic versus another. If you use arcane magic, it kind of drains more life out of the world. Um, everything is set up in a in in a world that is dying um, versus a world that is rising, right? And that, that doesn't happen in any other campaign setting. Um, like, I think Ryan started out earlier, you know, mentioned... Here's your characters. You're going to start out as basically slaves or ex-slaves. You're starting out below the bottom of the rung, and you're you're going to rise a little bit, but at some point or another, it's not going to go well for you. Um, and 
to me that that hit a note of just uh this is just really cool um and again it, going to kind of big picture here with dark sun you know tsr really walked got out of their shell here then they used the, the art in dark sun is is mostly brown and different than anything else that they had done that any campaign setting they put out or any books that they put out i mean and then they use Brahm to pretty much uh, embody the whole product line. So it, Dark Sun products from that that era are very easily identifiable from any other TSR product. Um, you know, playing it as a character, I think you start at third level, right? Mm-hmm. Some of this is a little foggy. I haven't pulled. I actually didn't pull out my books, but I think your characters actually start at third level. You don't start at first level in Dark Sun. Well, I know yeah, you can school. Good. At least the old 2E version, that's how it was. So I don't know about the, the newer versions. I, I just remember that your stats, you, you roll your stats with 40 plus 4 uh, for each yeah. stat. So you're, you're getting up in some stats to the 20s, you know, at yes. some Yes, you're going to start out a lot stronger. Psionics is a big thing. Now, that, ironically, it was one thing that I did not like. I did not I, I didn't care for Psionics in, in any game system they've ever produced, and I didn't really care for it in Dark Sun. We, we played this campaign setting. I ran it. I got rid of it. So... Uh, but it's, it is, it can be psionic heavy. Um, and they, I think the reason they did that is because magic is very, it is not a magic centric setting like Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms or any of the other ones. Um, it's, there's no gods, for example. Right. So, um, I'm looking at my legal packets. I just tried to write a bunch of things down because I will not remember. It's very pulpy, right? Pulpy post-apocalyptic if people aren't familiar with it. Um, kind of setting the uh boy what else am i thinking remember i'm gonna go on too long uh you know there are some we talked about this earlier actually got a slavery is a big thing in dark sun um and it's not it's not i, I want i want to be careful how i say it. it's not like it's uh um glorified it's it's a horrific thing but it's a big thing in the setting itself there's a lot of slaves yeah the the world of athis which is the world that dark sun is set on uh, you basically have the ultimate stratification of there are uh, these sorcerer kings who are the most powerful uh, magic users in the entire world. They have delineated their power to their uh, their servants, and it's kind of just everyone from the everyone down the pyramid from the sorcerer kings is some kind of serf or slave to a degree. And then you get to the very bottom and it's just, uh, these are people that we've subjugated to build our palaces, to build our city walls, to serve in our militaries. It's all very much in service to this uh, wizarding ruling class in Dark Sun. It sounds like a a really sort of interesting um, mix somehow of this dark, gritty, nihilistic, like you're the bottom of the bottom, and then you're starting your characters at third level with with super stats. Like it's it's I'm I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with the, so uh, the reason the, and cool. the, the reason for that is because it it is um, evolution. It's it's very it's, all, it's deadly. The 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 setting is so deadly that the characters were all started. If you were to start with a four hit point magic user in Dark Sun, you're not going to last at all. Okay. Mm. So I think that's that was part of the, the reasoning behind this. I mean, they yeah. did, like I said, TSR really got out of their out of their comfort zone with with Dark Sun. I mean, to go back to the the, the magic thing, so the arcane spellcasters, which would be your magic users, illusionist kind of thing, they're called defilers. That's that's what they're called. 
So, I mean, can you imagine going through life being called a defiler? I mean, that's not very fun. Um, <laughs> and the clerical magic, even though there's no gods, they're called preservers. So, and they're more the elementalists, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sorcerer kings use, like you mentioned, they're not Templars, but they're something. I can't remember what the, the term is. Uh, they are called Templars. They're yeah. called Templars, that's right. So, And they kind of run around running the show, you know, and they can be bought off. They're, they're corrupt as hell. Um, it's a... Uh, this is the pretty much inverse of what you would think of like a Middle Earth or European centric mm-hmm. campaign setting. It is nothing like that, and that's what honestly makes it it makes it really cool. And I know people are talking that they want to bring this around for five. They haven't done it yet. It sounds like it's coming. Yeah, but it's yeah. It there's like a lot of I just there's a lot of interesting stuff. Like I said, I don't know how they're going to deal with some of the stuff. Like I said, slavery is all over this setting, so I'm not sure. And uh, we had that whole conversation earlier. Where they're going to go with all that? Um, yeah, it, it's going to you know it'd be interesting to see. It is uh, it's a great setting. Like I said, if you want to get out of your comfort zone and play something really different, Dark Sun is it. And it's gonna we'll I know get over this, and Ryan will definitely speak more about this because he's much more knowledgeable about DCC than I am. Um, but Dark Sun is a great DCC campaign setting it just really is it, it has more of that a little bit of that gonzo to it um and fate you know it's 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 uh, fatality level and the danger level is really high so i think for dcc you know it, it kind of fits that and that corrupt magic that goes on with with the dcc game it, it, it this campaign setting worked really really well for that one of the one of the things that i always think about about dcc and one of the things like that just makes me so happy every time I play it is that DCC is has got to be the swingiest game out there like certainly <laughs> certainly of the sort of D&D cousins DCC is is by far the swingiest you know you can go from a horrible horrible fumble to just this amazing critical success um and so I'm wondering if the do you think the setting is sort of intrinsically swingy and something like I, I hear I'm hearing the corruption and that sounds awesome and really fits it but yeah what's the swinginess of the original Darkstone that sort of plays into this I think for me uh, the thing that fits nice in that is the magic setting uh, or the magic, magic system um, mm-hmm. because the idea in Dark Sun is okay you can use magic but there's going to be a cost for this right that, uh, yep. that the world around you is going to be devastated from it um, and you're also all magic is drawn through the sorcerer kings, which really aligns well with the DCC, uh, you know, system of uh, the mercurial magic and the patrons and all that, um, yep. and, and things going wrong. So I think that kind of aligns, and the idea that you know you're taking a chance to do something, and, and you could have something really good happen and get away with it, or you could just be you know lighting the dynamite right here, you know. Um, so what about the I guess the other half, the other half of the swinginess of DCC, the uh, the deed, the deed die for the warrior, is that sort of also sort of feel at home, well, or how does that feel at home in Dark Sun? I I would definitely say so because one of the big aspects of uh, kind of the martial class of Dark Sun is uh, gladiatorial combat is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. So the way that I flavored it, and I I did a whole document uh, for the the people at home. At some point, I'm going to punch this up a little bit and probably just put it online for people to use because there's no way I can make money off of this. Uh, there's there's too much copywritten material here. <laughs> um, but 
I put this in the mole section, uh, which moles are a, a crossbreeding of humans and dwarves. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, I imagine. Mules. Uh, yeah. Which are one of the, the races here in Dark Sun. Uh, but I kind of flavored the deed die as this is your, like, gladiator die. This is the I'm going to do something. Uh, my mighty deed of arms is I'm going to do something that's going to make the crowd go crazy. Uh, so that that's kind of where that would fit in is uh, a lot of the warriors that you're going to find in Dark Sun, especially uh, warriors that are coming out of the slave class, will have been gladiators. So that's... Uh, I think that's where that aspect fits into Dark Sun very well. And I gotta say, like, cool. just so nobody calls me a hypocrite, when when this first came out, well, first off, I was at that point in my life taking that little hiatus from role playing. You know, me and you know, me and my wife were dating and all that kind of thing. Um, I but wasn't I also dating your wife then, but I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was you. No. Uh, so the uh, when I saw this on the bookshelves. It didn't hit me right back then. I, I looked at it, and the art to me was was too punkish, too. Uh, it almost looked like something out of Hellraiser, uh, and it just, you know, I, I I'd come out of the the romantic fantasy tradition, and I was like, ah, this isn't my D and D. But then coming back around to it later, I kind of understood. That, oh, this this is where they're going. They are trying to diverge, and uh, it's like they've got the uh, sword and planet thing going on. They've got, you know, they've kind of gone back to the, the Conan, uh, you know, with the Sorcerer Kings and the grittiness of it and, and this, you know, mighty deeds sort of idea, this idea that these these people are, you know, almost superhuman uh, because they have to be to survive in this kind of environment. Um, then that started clicking with me. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that is kind of a cool campaign setting. But, uh, yeah, I think it works, it works well with DCC in a lot of reasons. I mean, even the character funnel, right? So. You can roll. I mean, it'd be really easy in Dark Sun to roll up a bunch of characters and have them get slaughtered off right away. For I mean, sure, this thing is is very. Uh, it, it, it's it's a high fatality based campaign setting. I mean, it's it's out there for that. Um, it makes no it makes no bones about that. Uh, which again, which to me is interesting for a five E thing because five E is not that way, right? Five E is the opposite. Right. It's it's your character driven. Um, your characters just really don't die. Um, Versus Dark Sun, where you, you know the back in the day, I mean, people were dropping like flies in this thing. You know, there's some other interesting uh, components to it too. Edwin, so there's the, like metal is almost is is extremely rare, all metal. Mm-hmm. So the the coin system is these ceramic coins. They don't because metal they don't, like they're not running around using gold and silver pieces. It's just so rare uh, for anyone to have metal. Like there's no one running around in plate mail. Well, first of all, it's like 120 degrees in the shade. But um, it's it's a whole desert. The the setting is is 95% desert setting, by the way, which was really interesting because they put Al Qadim out like the within like six months, <laughs> yeah. setting, which is really funny. But um, and what about that, magic items? Is that is it a magic item rich or magic item starved sort of setting? It's 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 more up to the DM how he wants to run it. So. It's they're there. They're definitely out there, and it's it's more along the lines of you know when you find it, it's it's a it should be a big thing. Yeah, There's not it, plus one swords laying all over the place. A lot of like artifactual type level stuff. Yeah. And, and yeah. Very few. So also DCC, you know, yeah. DCC style. Like if it, if there's a magic sword, it has a name and it has a history. <laughs> and... Sure. Yeah. 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 It's it definitely more individualized on that on that scale for sure. And, and that's and one of the other that, things too that like. Uh, Tim uh, Timothy Brown and uh, oh the the guys that wrote this uh, Rich Baker Troy Denning 
One of the yep. things they've said many times is they wanted this to be a world where when a player went in, nothing was recognizable. You know, a dwarf was not just a dwarf. You didn't, like, all the all the races we think of as, as monster enemies, like orcs and goblins, that they, they didn't survive the, the purge uh, that happened that killed most of the population of the planet. So all the monsters that are out there are pretty much new monsters or monsters that don't do what you would expect them to do. And I think, you know, DCC has that same... Uh, design feature where you don't really have standard monsters. Everything you run across is very unique. It, it is always yep. a yeah. trial and error experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So throwing our our initial archetype discussion on its head and being like, nope, this is this is the weird <laughs> thing. This is so. Um, here, here's something. I'm, so I do a lot, uh, Ryan, of uh, of conversion of stuff. That's that's sort of my main main job with Frog God. Um, where did you start? Like you're looking at, at a campaign setting, adventures, monsters. Like you've got this entire universe here that you're like, well, I'm going to take this over to DCC. Uh, where, where did you start? Uh, so where the, are you starting? <laughs> the first thing that I started with was uh, there. There are gaps in DCC around uh, the the races that you would need to populate the world of Athos. Uh, properly. Uh, the halflings that you have in DCC actually work pretty well with the halflings in Dark Sun. Uh, again, for anyone who doesn't know, halflings in Dark Sun, uh, they live in the forests, what few forests are left in uh, the world, and they are uh, they're cannibals. Mm-hmm. Well, there goes my trivia question for Ryan. <laughs> no, no, no. I was gonna. That's good. Uh, what's the difference between halflings and dark sun and other places? Yes, they're cannibals. Yeah, so you're you're not dealing with like Frodo Baggins or Bilbo Baggins or the Shire or anything like that. You're you're looking at almost more of a uh, pulp pygmy kind of. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like uh, picts from Robert E. Howard stories. Yeah. is kind of what you're dealing with with the halflings. Um, and with what the halflings get in DCC, that still works. I mean, the two weapons, that still works. Uh, but I needed to create Thrycreen, which are seven-foot-tall bugmen, and moles, which are the crossbreeding of humans and dwarves. And so what I did was I created the Thrycreen to be almost a stand-in for what a ranger class would look like in uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics. And then uh, the moles were actually a little bit easier. I basically just made them uh, stronger dwarves. So you're starting basically with the the, the player playable, uh, the player races, player classes yep. uh, initially. And then uh, and maybe maybe that's it. Maybe everything else is, is basically straight DCC. Are you, have you... Uh, I mean, is is the psionics going to just be re uh, redescribed magic, or are you actually thinking that you'll need to create, you know, new effects which are more? Uh, you you actually linked to something that was a that is a DCC psionics thing that exists, I guess. Yeah. So fortunately, someone uh, I, I'm kind of with Bill on psionics. It's my least favorite part of Dark Sun because psionics always end up just being a huge mess, no matter what system you try to put them in. Uh, I don't know what it is about them. I think it's just the nature of it's mind-based magic. It's it's almost like any cyberpunk game 
the the decking thing is always a bit of a mess and figuring out how to make that yeah. work uh in, entering the entering cyberspace is always kind of a weird mess psionics is the same way it, it always but, feels like a side game like you're not yeah. in that game anymore but now you're playing this yeah but uh a guy named reed san filippo uh who publishes under Shield of Faith Studios uh, as part of Crawling Under a Broken Moon released a uh, uh, re- released a module called uh, UX02 Mind Games, which is psionic rules suitable for almost any genre compatible with DCC and MCC. And what this includes is a full list of psionic powers, a psion PC class, and even some... Uh, psionic-based magic items and monsters. How, how did he solve the problem? Well, so you'll, you'll port those to eat. Yeah, that's a good question, too. Uh, so, I'll take... I'll, I'll give Reed this. He did as best as anyone could possibly do, but psionics are still a bit of a mess here. Um... They, they don't quite... It, it's not quite as cut and dry as uh, spellcasting. There's some weirdness with... Uh, you you make the roll to, to use the power just like you would with the spell, uh, but there are... Uh, there's a, a focus point system as well, and there's different breakdowns of what each uh, type of psionic power does. There's some that help you control your body or other people's bodies... Uh, there's some that like give you the powers of discernment. Uh, there's psychokinesis, which is uh, shaping the world around you with your mind, and then telepathy. Uh, and within all of those, there are different kinds of actions that you can take. With it's it's still just kind of a big giant weird mess. <laughs> but I guess it. I mean, oh, that sorry. fits in because, right? Spellcasting in DCC is a big mess with the spell duels and the and the spell burn and the. And, I mean, it's yep. a beautiful mess. But it's a big, <laughs> and, then, and and arcane spellcasting is a different system than clerical spellcasting. Effectively, yep. then, like, there's enough different rules, and so it makes sense that we're just sort of adding. It sounds like a third big mess, mm-hmm. um, which I assume will be similarly or is similarly swingy and exciting and like chaotic and like, oh my yep. god. Um, but because I feel like there is a lot of, I mean, DCC, it's a, it's a weird thing because it's on one hand, it's a, it's a move fast, hit hard kind of a game. But on the other hand, it's, well, we've got to go through three charts and two tables before we finish figuring out this fumble here. And, and like those, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of tools out there to help keep it, keep it moving faster and, and so forth. But it's, uh, it's that, that part of DCC has always been a little, uh, at odds for me of this sort of combining those two things together. Um, and, and, and that's where you don't need the psionics and dark sun to, to move, try to move it, it. Moving that into DCC to me is just train wreck wanting to have. So it's not, you don't think it's a, it's not a fundamental part of the, it's not, I guess well, maybe that's the question. Is it's, the whole it's not, psionics uh, an it, important part of why you like, it, it, you didn't like psionics and dark sun. Yeah, as written, it kind of is, but like I said, I think a lot of people I know who, who ran Dark Sun did not, nobody likes psionics, just like, nobody does. 
it's just like you said, it's 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 a it's a it's a mess. It's messy. So I know how we handle it is as as I ran it. So I was the sole guy running Dark Sun. Is I when I when if it was a a written scenario or something like that, and they had a a creature that was used psionic heavy or something like that, I just I made more psionics more of a uh, a spell like effect instead of using a psionics and just try to sibble and dumb it down that way. Um, in the background behind Dark Sun, the reason that the world is destroyed the way it is is because basically magic destroyed the world, right? So I kind of made psionics a magic mutation instead of a psionic ability. Um, I think a lot of people kind of use the same kind of thing. So I think that that does translate a little better that way into DCC mm-hmm. versus versus just pure psionics. Because psionics to me is just, I don't know, it's just, a, it's it to me it never really belonged in a fantasy game anyway, Um Especially when you have magic, right? I mean, why why do you need psionics? Uh, you can do psionic-like stuff, just make it spell-like. I mean, uh, but that was kind of my thought on converting. Discussion. You know, having before uh, you sent us your document, I was kind of thinking, if I were doing this, psionics would just be using some of the mutations out of MCC and using some of the spells mm-hmm. out of DCC. And then I thought, you know, the the thing that really seems to be a, a trope with the the psionics is that it, it drains the person so i thought well you just make it so that they have to spell burn they have to burn away some some of their life force to be able to use it each time they use it yep yeah and that, that does translate well for dark sun because like i said when you use arcane magic in dark sun you do um you are sucking basically the life out of the out of the planet or your environment when you use arcane magic in, in dark sun so that works really well with dcc as i i think like i said I think this this campaign setting is almost tailor written for dark for uh, for DCC more than five E. Like I said, I, I keep well, coming maybe, from the, maybe the other way around actually. Like <laughs> it, like it is, the, you know the, DCC was written for a setting like Dark Sun, right? Yeah, totally. I, mean, I feel yeah. like the, the folks who wrote DCC were going back to some of that. Yeah, yeah like the Ash Clark and Smith. So. Uh, yeah, I mean you're yeah, right. Yeah. The, the origins of both seem no. to be in that same uh, DNA. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, you know characters. People in the Darks universe are not allowed to read and write. <laughs> so there's a lot of crazy stuff in this setting, uh, which which makes it very interesting. Mm-hmm. And and one way that you could potentially fix this uh, without having to bring in new complicated psionics rules, uh, with no offense to to Reed, who put in a a lot of good work into this uh, particular book here, uh, you could just say lawful magic users are going to be your psionicists and just reflavor uh, any any wizard who's lawfully aligned what you're doing is psionic and then any wizard who's chaotic aligned you're a defiler mm-hmm. and uh, the other the other thing that I did because another part of Dark Sun is, and this is why stats are so much higher as well. Everyone's kind of mutated by what's happened. So everyone has some degree of psionics. And so part of character creation uh, for this game is everyone rolls uh, 1d2 mental mutations from the uh, the mental mutation table in Mutant Crawl Classics when creating their I characters. Like seeing that. <laughs> I like seeing that on your on your list there. I thought that was seems like a – I mean – I gotta say that starting so I, the the game I ran last week for the DCC uh, for the uh, Crawl for the Cure I had uh, fifth level DCC characters and 
that's just such a hoot because there's just so much going on. And even starting with third level, like, I guess you're talking about starting with a zero level uh, uh, funnel potentially, but, <laughs> but I could see starting with some, some, well, I guess no, I mean, if you're doing a zero level, but maybe better stats plus the mutations, plus the, the, the things that come with the mutations, like you're still coming out of the gate with a lot of what makes that game really fun. Uh, DCC, yeah. uh, you know, just being able to play on those charts, and uh, I know, I know the DCC rules. You know, they're they're super strict. Like you gotta play, you, you gotta do this, and you gotta do it exactly like you know, <laughs> roll the dice in order and do the thing. And but we all know that you can play it any which way you want. And you're gonna have fun with it because it's a, this is a really solid game. Um, and so I like the fact that there's here's a, a sort of a, a weird twist of you're gonna have a lot of powers. And you're gonna die quickly and cruelly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I do. I think DCC handles it a lot better um, with with their you call them abilities, mutations, whatever it is. Then I guess, like I said, in in Dark Summer, you just you literally every time you roll a character or your group's rolling the character, they're randomly rolling for psionic abilities for their characters, which makes some characters can be so wildly more powerful than another character. It just totally unbalances the game table. Um, but you didn't have to roll two uh, two 100s in a row on your percentile dice in order to get psionics. No, but you know, you know, <laughs> no, you don't. That is so first uh, edition. That's what I. I don't remember the details, but I think I feel like that was the rule. No, by by second oh, like, edition, very, they had, yeah. and I think this is honestly why psionics are in Dark Sun is because they had recently published the complete psionics handbook. As yeah. a property, and yeah. it you know re yeah. redesigned all the psionics as kind of a, a proficiency skill system, uh, and so I think that was because uh, from what I was seeing, uh, the whole game system originally was hinged on the the re-release of the battle system. That this was originally going to be a it was going to be called something like War World or something like that. And you okay, played as monsters. Second, there goes my second trivia question. Oh. <laughs> Don't tell him. See if he remembers. He might be thinking, you know. Thinking about what he's got to do tomorrow, you know, he's not even paying attention. Who knows? Uh, but at any rate, uh, yeah. So you know, it's interesting uh, to you know, it'd, it'd be interesting to be a fly on the wall and see like how much of this is you know product integration and how much of it is you know truly a design that says yeah these these elements go well together or whatever. Because I, I agree oh, with you, Bill. Nothing in the game to me ever seemed like oh this only makes sense if psionics exist in this world. But then again, I've never really read through all the meta plot stuff, which this was very heavy. No, in. It, it it's probably more tuned to it. You're probably closer to hitting that nail on the head than not, right? So psionics, they threw it in the one e. Everyone hated it, you know. But it was like a bad government, you know. Or, or, it was like a government program, right? Once once they voted in and it, it becomes a, it's a thing. It, you can never get rid of it, and then someone's always got to build it up, right, and make it more than it ever should have been. And that's what happened with psionics. I mean, we did not need a complete psionics handbook, right? Nobody ever needed that. I don't remember. You know, I, it, it, but there it is, right? They had it, and they just couldn't let go. TSR could not let go of psionics. And here was an opportunity for them to use it. Um, so it, I don't think they shoehorned it into Dark Sun. I think they built the game a little bit around it. But um, like I said, I, I know a lot of people who played Dark Sun back then, and a lot of people just did not. They just just like one just didn't use it. So what's next? You got your character classes worked on. You've got your psionics figured out. Is there um, like how much of the 
I guess you talked a little bit about, you didn't talk on air. You wrote something a little bit about where you're thinking of setting. I've never, so I have almost never played in a, in a published setting, I think other than perhaps whisper and venom. So like for me, the, the, uh, the task of learning somebody else's lore and bringing it into my game and then trying to keep it consistent is just totally daunting. Um, but it sounds like you're excited about the uh, the existing storyline, like the feel of Dark Sun and the meta plot and all of that stuff, and that you've sort of chosen a place in time where you're where you're moving along. Uh, and none of that obviously needs any DCC. Like, there's no rules there. That's just story stuff. Um, so, are there like adventures that are going to get translated, or monsters, or are you basically done? Like, is it really just the player characters and you're ready to rock? Yeah, I mean, there there are a couple monsters that p- people very closely associate with Dark Sun that I might need to stat. Uh, specifically, there's uh, Boris of Eeb, who, uh, for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, I'll actually, let me reach up here and pull down the miniature I have for him. I'll describe it for our listeners. This is Boris of Eeb, for those of you who are on the call. I painted this myself. Um, he is the dragon, and he's the dragon because he is the only dragon on sort Athos. Of, sort of, if you've ever seen the uh, classic Lewis and Carol, or Lewis and Carol, what am I saying? <laughs> Lewis, Carol, <laughs> Alice in Wonderland is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Jabberwocky, uh, if you've seen the illustrations that go with the classic printing of that book, yeah, that's that... that style of dragon that we're looking at that's cool yeah and what's interesting about boris is he was not uh born a dragon he was born a he was born a man he is a human and he went through a ritual to turn himself into a dragon through a combination of mastery of psionics and mastery of arcane magic and the reason he did this was basically to shut out the dark lord who turned Athos into what it is in the place that you uh, the that the players find themselves in? Uh, so Boris is the necessary evil of all of Dark Sun. He demands a sacrifice of a thousand of each Sorcerer King's best men every so often, just to keep that Dark Lord shut out. He kind of wanders around the desert and if you run into him you know that like it's not going to be a good day you you you'll be lucky to die <laughs> if you encounter Boris in the wild um so obviously he's not someone that you're immediately going to be like we're going to take out that guy but he does need to be statted because he is an important part there's also monsters like the gage which is basically a uh, a land crustacean with tentacles that also has psionic powers that's very important uh, there are the drakes which are elementals that basically replace your standard dragons yeah that, that's the dragons of the world yeah yep and then there's uh, the nightmare beast which is also very important it's I guess the best way to describe it, it's a psionic tarasque. It's another thing that if you run into this thing uh, in the desert, you're so, not going to have a good time. So this one goes to 11, uh, to, to yeah. quote... Uh, yeah. All right. 
Wow. Yeah, I, I remember uh, preparing for the episode, reading some of the, the designer's notes and stuff that they had online, and, and that was one of their big complaints is they'd get through writing up an adventure or a you know, supplement, and then be like, oh, shit, I got to go put all the psionic numbers in with the monsters, you know, and that was like a whole nother couple days worth of work to balance all that out, to add that other layer. Well, this sounds nice that, like DCC and a lot of old school stuff, that it doesn't have to be balanced at all. <laughs> no, it's it's surprising, but I, I think like, like Ryan is talking about here, it's that the fact that that Dark Sun is so kind of unbalanced and wonky and and crazy that that's why it meshes so well, I think, with DCC I, I, more than yeah. most other TSR campaign settings, honestly. Um, it, it just it's like I said, they're they're made. I, I know I said it was made, you know, made one was made for the other. They're made for each other, I think, absolutely. One thing that I think matches them well is the the idea that in, in Dark Sun, the characters are so vastly different. Like if you look at the the races and the the class types, mm-hmm. it, it becomes very hard to say. Well, why is this guy with that guy with this guy? Uh, but with the the aesthetic of DCC, where okay, this is a funnel, bad stuff happened. You're all thrown into it. You know, let's see who lives to to tell the tale. Uh, I think that works out much better to, to get those mix of characters together and make them forge themselves into one unit or one, you know, group that, that adheres through, you know, for the next four or five adventures. Um, and, and even the, the tagline from DCC that you're no hero, that goes real well with the theme of the characters in Dark Sun because it is a, a very dark and foreboding and, and, you know, a place where there are very gray moral judgments that have to be made. It's not a heroic setting. It's it's not a heroic setting at all, which I think flows in with DCC real well. I mean, obviously your characters are going to wind up trying to be heroes for sure, right? I mean, it's that's the ideal, but or at least, or at least macho. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. So, what what um, yeah, that was a question that just popped in my head here. What what kind of uh, adventures do people have in Dark Sun? Like, what are, what are, what are the player characters doing? So the the old adventures were all built around this meta plot which involved uh the sorcerer king of tear yeah. uh Kallik, was building this giant ziggurat this giant temple where he was going to turn himself into a second dragon and uh basically try to completely overthrow boris and make himself the the biggest and baddest uh monster on the block in the world of Athos, and the meta plot was all about stopping that from happening. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily translate the meta plot. You could go into each of these, uh, each of these books, and you know, restat everything and, and make it all kind of fit with DCC pretty easily. Uh, but ultimately, the adventures that I would do here is I would adapt the initial adventure which is called freedom that's the one where you start out as a slave you liberate yourself and then you kind of go out into the world of athos because that acts as a funnel it 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 really is like a proto funnel uh that you see now in in dcc but from there i'd almost run it like mutant crawl classics where you're just kind of wandering the wastes and so exploration and discovery 
yeah, you're you're gonna run into stuff from the old world. Uh, in the Five E Dark Sun <laughs> game that I ran, my players encountered this entire citadel that used to house a whole bunch of the demi-humans that uh, the Sorcerer Kings were trying to genocide before the world of Athos became the world of Athos. And they went down into the tunnels and discovered this entire citadel that uh, Boris had essentially just pointed his finger at and the ground swallowed it up. So it's intact and destroyed and there's all kinds of old stuff to be found in there, including some orcs and goblins who did not uh, die when the citadel was swallowed. Cool. Like no, that, that sounds like a fun. Uh, yeah, I think that too. Because, yeah, that's because I feel like that survival. I mean, seriously, it's exploration and survival horror type stuff is what it sounds like. Which sounds awesome. It's frankly. it's it's a, the the AD and D version of Gamma World. Yep. Right. Well, I was gonna say it's like uh, it's a it's a dark and twisted Numenera. Yeah. Sort of. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I like to say it's like Robert E. Howard and Jack Vance took a pass at the script of Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's nice. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts uh, closing out, you know, uh, what to do with Dark Sun and the DCC uh, game mechanics? No. Uh, I, I uncovered most of it. Yeah. Uh, the psionics is going to be your biggest hurdle, but... Um, like I said, it's it's actually it can be your biggest hurdle or small hurdle depending on what you want to do with it. Hmm. Yeah. Other it, than we... that, oh, just uh, other than that, give it a try. And I would say think about running uh, Dark Sun and Dungeon Crawl Classics before even attempting uh, running it in Five E because I honestly just don't see Five E giving you that sense of deprivation that Dark Sun I, requires. I... I think I think they're gonna have to pull so much of that out of Dark Sun to make it to make it fit their five the, the general five E audience. Right? I'm wondering if they're gonna pull the uh, you know if they're gonna because like a lot of the there's a lot of the uh, optional rules you know the slow healing and the, mm-hmm. like there's a there's a bunch of stuff that they put into the the DMG to try to appeal to. People like us who, who want the characters to be a little bit less resilient, a little less robust. And I'm wondering if they'll just somehow front and center some of those rules and say, you know, in this setting, these are the rules we recommend as, as the rules. And, you know, if you want to be more heroic, whatever, fine. But this was this is, you know, this is these are the Dark Sun rules or something like that. It'll be interesting. Because I feel like, I mean, the like the 5e chassis, I feel like, is really solid. Um, yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. You know, and you could they didn't like they didn't push too hard like the the mercurial magic thing in uh, in five e is is total weak sauce, but turning it up to eleven would be pretty easy. Um, and so I, like I feel like they're they're not that far from being able to do it with stuff that's already been published and you know a little bit more of just. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they'd have to I think they'd have to invest in it with the same sort of freedom that it sounds like they invested in it the first time around where they said, we're going off this pier. Like we're jumping off this thing and we're just going to go and see where we end up. 
And if they're willing to do that, they can make it work in 5e, I think. Oh, I think they absolutely can. I mean, and obviously, I know, like you said, the indications that they are going to do it. And I'm, I buy, I buy everything 5e. I, I don't play it really. Ben plays it. That he's the 5e guy of the family, but. Kids um, these days. <laughs> yeah, kids these days. It, but I still, I think it's a great game system. I mean, I'm not going to bag yeah. on 5e at all. I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I think it's a great, I think it's a great game system. Like everything else, it's what you do with it. Um, but I am really interested to see how they handle Dark Sun mm-hmm. with 5e because they have not, in my, most of the stuff they did, they haven't done anything that's like this. And and that will be an interesting thing to see how they handle because because TSR had never done anything like this either and this this like you said they went so they didn't go off the pier you know they got enough speedboat took off you know and and, and, and kept Athrala going full speed international and, waters yeah. baby yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, that's what kind of makes it so cool so I'm really interested to see if they're going to do that with 5e or if they're how much they're going to pull the reins in on things. I think to me, like like the system, I don't think is my biggest concern. It's uh, you know this has a lot of culturally sensitive elements to it. Well, that's what I mean. And, that's and being I mean. able to address those and, and keep those in some fashion, while being you know ha- having modern sensibilities about you know respect and that sort of thing. I mean, I mean, it's very easy to see the halflings again are, are this you know. Uh, I don't know what the, this horribly bent version of a pygmy culture that we find in the old forties pulp novels and you know, the, the, the slavery and the non-consensual elements that make up the story and make the sorcerer Kings such horrible, horrible people, the genocide and all that. It, well, and the, it'll the, be a challenge the, for him. Right. The, the dwarf human. Mm-hmm. Cross bred to are, be that. Yeah. Are a slave race. I mean, they're, they're, they're basically right. That's the right one. Am I hitting the yeah, right no, one? Yeah. Uh, the, the moles. They're yeah, designed it, as an entire slave race it, for the, for the campaign site. And, and, and bred so, to be that. I mean, that's, that's, again, that's the bump. Non-consensual, yeah. you know, this, this stock yeah. works well with that stock, you know. <laughs> so to me, that's, and you hit, you, you, again, you guys always do a, a better job of conveying my thoughts than I do, but I think that's why I think it's going to be interesting to see how wizards handles all that in a in a dark sun setting because and i'm also curious I'm, i really hope they do kind of what what tsr did and i think they do do a lot of I, i'd like to see them go totally out of the box with the artwork with dark sun the way they did the first time around i mean like it or love it i i thought it was cool it's not initially my favorite style of art but i thought it was fantastic to set this setting so far apart than anything else i'd love to see wizards do that too i think that would be uh and i i I bet they will. I really do think I would they be totally psyched to see them take their their skills and their money and push it in a far other direction because that could be wicked cool. Whatever it is, yeah, it would be wicked cool. I mean, I... Cool little point of fact that uh, Gerald Brom was only 24 when he was hired by them to do this, and uh, it got to the point where he would do the art long before they did the writing. <laughs> So he'd paint something yeah. or draw something, and he'd be like, "Okay, what does this mean? What do we do with this?" And and a lot of it was that kind of reciprocation of of art creating, you know, prose, and then prose creating art, yeah. and that seesaw of that going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, if uh, you know, to all our listeners out there, you can purchase Two E Dark Sun. It is on Drive Through Wizards. Does have it. Uh, you can get a PDF for I think as cheap as ten bucks, and you can get a soft cover or hard cover. 
So it's it's available because don't go on eBay and look for it. You're gonna <laughs> have sticker shock. So you're gonna you're gonna pay a couple hundred bucks for a nice copy, a complete copy of Dark Sun. Yep. Box set. All right, you hear those bells? For whom yeah. do they toll? They toll for you, Ryan. It is time for geek credit. Uh oh, here we go. Do you have any geek credit? All right, it's geek credit, folks, and it's that segment where we're going to uh, put Ryan on the hot seat here. He has five multiple-choice questions. If he can get three of them right, he uh, leaves tonight with his geek credit intact. Uh, Ryan, how are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling all right. I'm, I'm feeling all right about this. All right. Um, you gave us a nice selection of items in the realm of geekdom to to pull from and one of those items was mentioned in the letters to the homeowners association james bond uh so i'm curious to know what james bond film got made twice and i'll I'll give you the multiple choice on this was it dr no live and let die casino royale uh or was it uh die another day Okay, so of the ones that you gave me, uh, the one that was made twice was Casino Royale. Very good. However, there was another James Bond movie that was made twice. That movie was Thunderball. The second making of it is called Never Say Never Again. It was not produced by Eon. It was produced by Warner Brothers, I believe. Mm -hmm. And Sean Connery came back to the role of James Bond for that movie in 1983, it premiered right around the same time that Octopussy with Roger Moore came out, and it was kind of a, a battle of the Bonds at that time, and right around the same time was when Victory Games put out the RPG, so... I'm out of my RPG depth here, guys. Actually... <laughs> <laughs> I get the white flag coming up here. No, that, the, that's awesome. The RPG was part of the salvo towards Never Say Never Again of, we, we have the real Bond here, Warner <laughs> Brothers. Nice. All right, point to you. Bill, you want to jump in? Okay, uh, I, because you guys stole all my other questions, um, the, the Dragon King appears on the cover of one dark, only one Dark Sun Adventure product. What's the name of that product? I'm not going to give you multiple choice. Oh, let's Because it'll give it away, so. <laughs> oh, without the multiple choice, I don't know that I can come up with the name of this adventure. Um... All right, I'll give you some. The Will and the Way, uh, I think Valley of Dust and Fire, or The Dragon Kings. I believe it would be The Dragon Kings. It's not. Oh. It is The Valley of Dust and Fire. It was a horrible question. It was nicely played. On the spot, but <laughs> oh, it's all good. I'm going to blame all this on Lou because he stole all my freaking questions. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, uh... I'm going to assume you'll get this one out of the gate, but we'll, we'll see here. All right, so another thing, another interest we've already alluded to, uh, you like the band Rush, which kudos to you, man. Uh, great band. Um, what is their longest running song? The song that, that has the longest playtime. Is it Losing Again, You Don't Love Me, Living Loving Maid, or 2012? Or, I'm sorry, 2112. My bad, my bad. 
21-12. You're right. And can you, just yeah. for the icing on the cake, uh, tell us how long the playtime is on that song? I know it's an entire side of an album. I am going to say uh, 41 minutes. I, I got 20, 20 minutes and 33 seconds, but uh, okay. but you got the question right. Like 41 minutes. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I <laughs> have so heard that they... Uh, they pre- long album. Yeah. Hey, we got we got to give Ryan half credit on my question too because there is a dragon on the cover of Dragon Kings, but I think it's just the dragon. It's I don't think it's supposed to be the Dragon King, dude. I think it's just the other yeah, the other ones that kind of coming, you know. Drake's so we got to give him half credit for that. There is a dragon on the cover of Dragon King. That right, pumps him up to two and a half. <laughs> there you go. Very good. I don't because I also gave away a couple of questions. <laughs> right, I got, I got what kind of here? Oh, and, here we go. And uh, and I gave that one away. Uh, so I who almost sucked. got hired? Who almost got hired as the bass player for Rush? Almost really? got hired as the bass player for Rush. Um, can you give me a time frame when this would have happened? I can't. I just made the question up. I just figured you know. <laughs> Because <laughs> Google Food wow. isn't coming through for me. So. Getty has always dead. been the the bass player and the lead singer, and so I was trying to think maybe like in their keyboard era they thought about getting someone else to play bass, but he he got sick. He got sick for for, <laughs> and then they were gonna hire someone because I had a tour to do. No, I'm I'm rolling on the random table here. I just figured <laughs> I'd give Lou a little bit of time to uh, collect himself after the. Uh, the crushing the he got on the on the last questions. <laughs> this is this is what happens when you got a bunch of guys who don't know anything about the stuff you know about. Try to help <laughs> exactly. questions. Yep. All right. Well, I, I got one. What what uh, edition of D and D has not did not receive a Dark Sun campaign setting? Did not receive a Dark Sun campaign setting. Um, we're not going to include first because it did, right? So it started second and second, third, fourth, second, third, or fourth. Which one did not? Yeah, that would be third. Yeah, that's correct. Because fourth edition did get it. Yep. I've actually got uh, the only physical Dark Sun books I have are from the fourth edition release. Yeah. All right. For this question, I'm going to read you a list of James Bond actors. I want you to tell me at least three of them that are still alive today. Here we go. Sean Connery, David Niven, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, and Daniel Craig. Gotcha. So uh, Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig are obviously still with us. Daniel Craig just did a movie uh, a couple years ago. Uh, George Lazenby is still with us. That'll and Timothy Dalton. You're absolutely is still right. With us. Man, guy is a rock here. All right, that Ooh. is definitely some geek credit. No questions asked. Well, <laughs> Ryan, man, uh, we've awesome. kept you really late. This is going to be a you know one of these episodes that uh, goes into overtime. Uh, hopefully, the listeners enjoy that. I know I have. Uh, I don't know if you knew what you're getting in for or not, but uh, we hijacked <laughs> you nonetheless. Tell, oh, tell the folks what they can look forward to from you uh, and, and where they can find you. Yeah, so uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. Instagram, you can see uh, the miniatures that I paint. That's the, the big draw for my Instagram there is I put my miniatures up there. Uh, the show is at twitch.tv slash Ryan. If you can't make the live stream, it does go up on YouTube. You can find that at Rollin' Bones on YouTube. 
And if you prefer audio only, it is available on all major podcatchers courtesy of Anchor. And for those of you who love the DCC talk, we are not done with it because next week David Beatty is going to be on the show to talk about Weird Frontiers. Uh, We've done a lot of Weird Frontiers talk on the show recently, but we're bringing Dave on and we're going to – we're going to round out that discussion of that great DCC-compatible Weird West game. Nice. Don't miss it. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the program. Uh, as for me, I've been Lou Alou, and it's uh, been a pleasure talking with you all out there in podcast land. Hope for you to come back here in, uh, what are we at? Eddie Barlett of the Long Con and No Class Podcast fame. He's going to be coming up in January. Uh, he'll be on. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil and uh, see what we can do with it under modern guise. It's going to go to yeah. 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be a long one. Uh, but in the meantime, <laughs> thank you for hanging. Adios. Good night. Tonight's episode of This Old Dungeon is copyright 2021. We'd like to thank our special guests and remind you, the listener, that the views expressed and the opinions held are simply our own. Hey, we're here to entertain, not educate. Until next time, happy gaming. Happy gaming.